You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Wednesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this fine program. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Cam Barry with me. T.P. Hammock is running the board and taking your phone calls today as we have a fun show planned for you here on this Wednesday afternoon as we talk a lot of things in the sports world. We talk some college and pro football. Uh, we'll have a fantasy discussion with Joe Barnell of Roto-Wire at 515 as he catches us up to date on what we know need to know in the fantasy football world. We'll also talk some Major League Baseball as the Major League Baseball playoffs well underway. Now into the second day of the wild card series, we'll tell you about the implications for the Braves. We'll tell you a little bit about uh, what will be going on with Atlanta coming up this weekend and some uh, baseball playoff notes for you this afternoon. Also want to update you again as promised yesterday. Want to get to this week the Auburn basketball schedule a little bit. The SEC schedule was released in the last couple of weeks as well as some game time start times for the various conference games and non-conference games we'll get to that at some point today as well of course we'll take all of your phone calls on the orthopedic clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine here this afternoon ryan cam and tom with you here we'll start with you tom how are you this afternoon i'm doing great um yeah just uh Ready to, ready to get on with the week. Obviously, my last day uh, here with us for the week. And then a big weekend ahead with Serp Sop going on in the town of Lochapoca. So, got all that going on. A lot of plans and a, a lot of planning over the next several days to get that done. So, that's where I'm going to be. But looking forward to everything with Auburn in this off week. Uh, uh, obviously, more to talk about. A big injury announced today uh, that Auburn's going to have to deal with. Um, still Major League Baseball stuff going on with uh, – with the playoffs now underway. So, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a good time. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. We, we're definitely not short on subject matter. Absolutely. A lot of games to digest, both in the football world and, of course, uh, in baseball now. As these, I, I say all year long in baseball, to, hey, one bad game, even one bad series, even one bad week, let it go. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Move on. Now you can't really afford to have one bad game or one bad series or no. one bad week. So we'll nope. be uh, certainly overanalyzing all that stuff, and especially once the Braves get going on Saturday. Cam Berry also with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Cam, I certainly appreciate you being here. hope you're well this afternoon. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm doing well. A little tired, but uh, we, we've uh, recuperated. We're good now. Um, but ready to definitely talk a little bit about that Auburn basketball schedule uh, and, yeah, talk about the injury that – 
uh, was just released today that definitely is something that Auburn's going to have to deal with. It's going to be tough uh, when you lose somebody of that caliber. And um, and then talk a little bit of NFL and fantasy football with Joe Bartle. Uh, I, I love talking it with him. So uh, always gives me an opportunity to go over my roster and see if there's anything that I can improve on or switch up on and, and talk to him about. So uh, I'm doing great and uh, ready to get this Wednesday going. Today is Wednesday, October the 4th. And that date coupled with the date of November 22nd is significant because every day between now and the 22nd of November, there will be either a college or a pro football game on for people to watch. And so we've got 49 days consecutive of football coming across uh, our TV screens here over the next month and a half. So that is very exciting that we've got that much football on tap. The last couple of days, obviously, we've been talking the aftermath of Auburn and Georgia, the Deep South's oldest rivalry, Tigers falling to the Bulldogs 27-20 in what was a close game throughout. Uh, Cam, want to give you the opportunity. I know we've talked a lot about it, but to get your thoughts in on what you saw, uh, what it means for the rest of this season and moving forward. Yeah, so I thought Auburn competed pretty well, and I I definitely think that the home field advantage that Jordan-Hare Stadium presents played a part into that. Um, but it, I still I, I still don't think Georgia played to an extremely high caliber either. They just don't look like the same dominant team. I think if they don't have Brock Bowers on the, on that team, they don't win uh, on Saturday against Auburn in all honesty. Uh, if he doesn't do everything that he can to, to get open and I, I think you know even even the loss of, of Jalen Simpson in the second half, played a part into Brock Bauer's ability to really uh, turn loose uh, and 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 uh, get as many yards as he did, you know, uh, over like 140 yards in the second half, I think was, was what he had. Uh, so I, I think that definitely played a part. And then, um, you know, it, it was tough to see, you know, down the stretch that Peyton wasn't able to make the plays necessary to uh, help Auburn drive down the field and, and, tie or potentially win the game uh but i think if anything this showed that auburn has the ability to compete more than anything especially um you know with with the run game and and uh they they showed a little bit of versatility so they they got things done and that defense absolutely caused some issues again jalen simpson uh forcing an interception which caused a short field which helped auburn to push down uh to to kind of you know not have to deal with the long field which is what we talked about on friday was that the defense was going to need to make some plays and they certainly did that to keep auburn in the game so you know that the defense is legit you you, you got some injuries which is really really unfortunate um but overall i was i was i was you know i was happy to see that auburn was able to comp- compete they didn't get blown out but I did say uh, I think my, my final score was 30 to 17 and the, the final score was 27 to 20 and Auburn still had an opportunity just and they were still in it. Um, but again, you know, once once Georgia got kind of past that 21 to 23 threshold that just Auburn wasn't going to be able to score many more points. And, and I mean, that was true. Uh, it, it held true. And um, but overall, it was still uh, an entertaining game down on the sidelines. I mean, you saw Cam d- down there. I mean, Nick Fairley was down there. Frank Thomas, you know, uh, j- uh, Charles Barkley. I mean, just uh, players on players of big names and SUNY Lee showed up too. I mean, it was just a whole 
bunch of uh, people showing out for this game and, and Auburn showed out and had and it was a big recruiting weekend as well. And Auburn was still able to show that they are they can be competitive. They're just missing a few pieces. So when you're talking to these high level recruits, you're saying, hey, we need you in here because, you know, you're absolutely going to be an impactful player here uh you can tell that the roster is kind of close and auburn's able to compete this home this home environment is something that uh is is a force to be reckoned with so uh i think it showed a lot of a lot of different things and it showed that there's plenty of opportunity for auburn to be able to uh compete down the road and um yeah it was it was a very good game to be at for sure yeah obviously the environment uh did live up to the expectation we knew that uh, Auburn fans would, would bring it, and they've certainly been a big part of these rivalry games. And uh, now over 88,000 getting the opportunity to go to Jordan Hare Stadium each and every Saturday definitely made an impact. You obviously heard comments from Kirby Smart, and some of that's coach speak, but I think this was real. And you hear it from Peter Burns, as Tom mentioned on the show yesterday uh, of the SEC Network, talking about how it was uh, as insane an environment as it yeah. gets. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I I actually uh, so Josh Pate was at the game mm-hmm. as well, and and uh, I somehow ended up in a conversation with him, and I said uh, so I said I said what what do you think? This was uh, I think it was going into the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and he was just standing there. I said what do you think? And he said uh, worth the price of admission, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the the environment was electric. Yeah, so definitely brought on that sort of thing. We've been talking uh, X and O's wise, and and with the team that. Uh, this was the first, uh, of course, we kind of now moving on from the group of five games and the lesser opponents, no disrespect to UMass and Sanford, but now we have enough to digest what this team is against Power 5 competition, which is ultimately what determines how good or bad the team is. And we know for, for the first time, I feel like we saw a positive uh, coached game and we saw a well, a, a much better coached game. Uh the Cal conundrum was obviously involving quarterbacks and offense, and and obviously turnovers were not a part of a coaching decision, but but just everything they could not get going against a pretty weak Cal team overall uh, was it felt like the plan was way off in the Cal game. Texas A and M, the plan felt a little bit better, but you still had just such a lack of passing game, never felt confident what they were doing offensively, and just therefore could not feel great about the week of of coaching, the week of practice and that sort of thing. But I think it was very important to see uh, a much better coach game, not a perfect game. Again, we went over the the main mistake defensively and offensively yesterday against obviously the the way to defend Bowers slash those third and long opportunities defensively. <laughs> Bracketing uh, is not the uh-huh. answer. <laughs> and uh, then offensively, that third and one decision to uh, put Peyton Thorne back in, still run the ball twice uh, after a few successful Robbie Ashford package plays. So those were the two decisions that stuck out to me. But by and large, took advantage of. A lot of situations ran the ball. I forgot what the stat total was, but it was one of the most successful ground games against Georgia in a very long time. Absolutely. Uh, running for over 200 yards and did it in a plethora of ways. So that bodes well. The continued thing, though, is just the passing game and everything involving the passing game. And ideally, you would like to be able to figure out how to get a competent passing attack because. And got really excited about the Peyton Thorne transfer initially. Got excited about some of these transfer receivers. Obviously, Rivaldo Fairweather, too, at tight end. And 
the collection of parts here has just not worked out at all. And there's a, a nice piece of blame pie to go around. But, I, I mean, what five games in, what's the best-case scenario now for the passing attack? Like, like how, how does Auburn find a best-case scenario? Uh, is it, I don't care at, at all, we're throwing it 12 times a game now, I'm going to run 50? Like, how, how would you try to fix this? Is it even remotely fixable? Where are you at with the passing attack? I I don't know that it's fixable. Um, just because the talent level is just not there yet. Now, I, I, I say I say not fixable is in not completely fixable. Like, you're not going to suddenly see Peyton Thorne throw for 300 and some odd yards a game. You're not suddenly going to see all these wide receivers just start – getting wide open and, and running routes that get themselves open. You're not going to see these wide receivers suddenly making this these wild over-the-shoulder catches and tiptoeing themselves into inbounds. You're not going to see that. Uh, that's just not who this team is. Now, can you pass enough to loosen defenses up to get the running game going? Sure. Um, you can use the passing game when you need it, and I think that's what Auburn's going to do. And and I think that's where um, I would like to see this passing game go for what you have right now is have it as as an option, have it as a weapon. Not It's obviously not going to be the thing that you can just turn to, but you need to have at least just enough that you feel kind of confident, like on third down. If, if right. If we if we're third and five, third and six, and it's like mm, that, we're kind of in that tweener between where we're just in a in an absolute passing down and I, or an absolute we're going to run it. Right. You still feel confident. It's like you know what? If we dial up a pass right here, we still feel confident that we can get these yards that we need. And sure, periodically, let's take a shot downfield and see what we can get. But um, it, it's just not going to be. A passing attack, like I said, where you're going to see him rack up 300-plus yards in a game. The receivers are not suddenly going to be going for 100 a game. It, that's just, just that's not going to happen. That's not the players that you have, and people are going to have to accept that. I, I kind of want to see if Auburn has the opportunity to maybe simplify the passing. You know, uh, I kind of liked the <laughs> – It'd be fun, kind of funny. I kind of liked the screens, the the kind of outward wide receiver screens. Um, so you did like Gus. <laughs> I knew it was coming. But it, but look, but we're at that point where you just got to get your playmakers the ball. Because Jay Fair is an extremely talented wide receiver. You just got to get him the ball, and that seems to have been the problem. Uh, same with Rivaldo Fairweather. It's He's extremely talented, but it's been kind of troublesome getting him the ball. So let's maybe simplify the routes, make it easier. Because Georgia did something that I re- that I, I kind of noticed that they, they helped Carson Beck out a lot because – he was starting to get pressured and he was starting to not make the best throws and you know he threw the interception so after he threw the interception Georgia for like the first like two or three drives just started giving him short throws quick slants things like that to get him just kind of in a rhythm get him comfortable then maybe we can start playing you know doing the long developing plays the little deeper routes the more intermediate throws but immediate like in the immediate sense they just started doing short throws just little slant routes things like that if you see that they're not playing you know press coverage they're playing back 
quick slant, easy. You know, just a, a quick five, six, seven yards. Just things like that that could potentially work. Uh, and I'm not really seeing a lot of that from Auburn. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've ever have seen that this season. Really, uh, I've seen a lot of just you know long developing scheme routes, but just not simplified routes. So I, I think that could be something that could potentially help Peyton Thorne just get into maybe a rhythm or just even if you're saying look we could we'll pass the ball on early downs and then we'll run it we'll pass the ball on early downs to get us a shorter shorter yardage and then we'll run the ball and that'll kind of be how they play it um, but that could maybe be something to look at but other than that I, I just don't know what else you do in all honesty so Auburn's coaching staff has talked a little bit about the quarterback is responsible for slotting protections and, and that sort of thing and right uh, I noticed on one of the three sacks, because I know some people started screaming for hot routes and short routes and that sort of stuff, I noticed on one of them, uh, I think it was the third – I don't know. I don't remember the exact third down it was. Mm-hmm. I still think it was first half, maybe early second half. But I think it was still late first half. And they showed the reverse angle of it on CBS, so behind the pocket. And you can notice that Jay Fair had stopped – at about four, the four or five yard mark, and turned around, was ready for something quick. If Thorne had gone there, which is actually where the blitz came from, and yet right. Thorne didn't get it over there. Right. Now I'm still, I'm not saying that that happened all game. I'm just giving you one instance of it. Um, but certainly, when you are struggling to protect the passer, and you're struggling with um, your passer not making well. quick decisions then it becomes hard and harder to throw the ball down the field because it takes more time to to get that process yeah. out. Now, here's the conundrum that, that I think of because I know that they had a couple of first down passes that were actually completions and worked a little better. I know Justin Ferguson Absolutely. was pointing out on Twitter. The, the thing about that is it is, it is all about your – individual philosophy because if your philosophy is i can't throw the ball really at all and we need to run well then you should be running on on those situations but if you're still committed to the idea that yes we can't be fully balanced but you've got to show it to them and you still got to create a play or two down the field in the passing game first down play action is usually a great time to do that i agree because third and seven plus this Auburn offense is not going to be converting that this Absolutely year. Absolutely not. So how do you avoid that? Well, usually by getting four on first down, four on second down, you have third two or whatever. But if you did want to try and break a big play or if you wanted to get something going in the passing game to help ease the box up for when you do run in those important situations, then the first down play action – is what would get the defense most off balance and give you a shot. Now you still got to block it because you got linebackers near the line of scrimmage, probably some sort of blitz going on and that sort of thing. But what in my head, it, it is an interesting conundrum because it's more about your philosophy at that point. If you believe that they should just be running on first and 10 every time, then you have uh, put the white flag out there. You're not passing anymore, yeah. period. It's just not fruitful for you. Maybe second and two, you would do that in a play-action situation, uh, but but the passing is just about gone. If you think, well, well, man, I still need to throw it 20 times, and can you for once have over 100 yards passing against a P5 opponent or something? Well, then that first and 10 is the opportunity to to try and do that. Problem is, you throw an incomplete pass, you you're feel awful about it yeah, because you're behind sure. the chains then, and you're not really going to run your way to a first down very likely out of second and 10. What do you think before we go to break here on – 
Is there any interest from you in trying the play action stuff in an early down situation when the defense is yeah. not calling for it? You think so? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think that there's anything that this team should just throw out and just sure. like we're not doing this. Mix and match it. I mean, I, I that sounds so silly, but I mean, obviously, you want to keep the defense on the keep the defense on their toes. I, I say silly. I mean, cliche, cliche. Got to keep the defense on their toes. Yeah, absolutely. Run the, run the play action on first down. I mean, do something different. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that we've talked about with um, some of these other offenses that we've seen that, you know, it feels like insanity. And everybody talks about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, even though it doesn't work. And you keep doing the same thing over and over. Well, so then you don't want to do that. I mean, run play action. Run play action on first down. Uh, you know, do something unconventional. I, I, that's what that's what I want to see. I, I want to see some unconventional stuff out of this offense. Follow up, play action with the intent of a five to seven yard pass, or play action with the intent of a chunk play. Five to Not, seven. Five to seven. Five to seven. You're just the the chunk plays haven't worked. Well, well, I mean, well the thing is, I, well, the thing is what I and that, but see now I'm I'm putting too much. I'm giving. Peyton Thorne too much, you know, credit as a good quarterback here to be able to read both. You know, I my ideal thing it's you know run play action with a deep short, guy and a short guy. I mean, well, sure, but guy, yeah. but short being where yeah. short being that's where I want to go, but still at least you know yeah. have that ability of like oh hey deep's there let's let's hit it. Why not? Um, I mean, yeah, just do something unconventional, do something different. Uh, I just, you know, I want to see this thing open up. I, I'm I'm tired of watching everybody else's offenses open up and, and be fun and entertaining. Yeah. And Auburn, for the last several years, it's like, hey, we got a first down. Excellent. Hey, we yeah, caught. Good stuff. We yeah. crossed the 50. How about that? <laughs> We're going to take our first time out of the show today. When we come back, we'll go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Now back to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Or if you listen after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, we do apologize. We've continued to have an issue with our Mixler, which is one of the avenues in which we stream things. Uh, that issue arose towards the end of the summer. We got it resolved. Apparently, there's another update and more work to be done. 
uh, with Mixler themselves, and so that could take uh, a few days. But again, we have plenty of ways to stream and listen to the show. You can listen on the Tiger Communications app, the the Tiger ninety five point nine stream. That's a great way, or the website through the Tiger ninety five point nine stream. That stream is working perfectly fine. Or of course, if you miss anything, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast, available wherever you may get your podcast. We're going to go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today: three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free. One triple eight nine Tiger Nine. Up first, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know this is our Auburn um, off week, so I'm actually going to see what we're actually. I'm going to be looking at some uh, some film from uh, from when we played against Georgia. So I'm going to be um, you know looking at that and uh, seeing what we're going to do when we play against. Um, LSU, and I'm actually going to see how Auburn is going to play on Saturday night when we when we actually go to Baton Rouge this weekend as well, um, off of the bye week. So I'm just going to see what Auburn is really going to do and what uh, Coach Freeze is actually going to do for uh, those mistakes that we played uh, against Georgia and what uh, what uh, we're going to take from those mistakes from Georgia to LSU as well. Yeah, again, uh, this weekend, as you said, bye week this weekend, so no Auburn football game this Saturday, 10, uh-huh. uh, ten days away uh, from the next Auburn game, which, of course, will be at LSU. Yeah, so I, um, I'm i actually going to be watching LSU this weekend, and I'm going to be studying their playbook as well and uh, seeing some of the guys that we're going to actually, you know, who who will be the quarterback that we're going to stop for LSU. That, that will be the main concern for uh, some of the – some of the tight ends or wide receivers on Auburn's offense as well. Yeah, LSU's quarterback is Jaden Daniels. He's a very accomplished quarterback, still playing really good football, even in a couple of their losses this year. Last week against Ole Miss, he was still very good, just got outscored uh, by Ole Miss's offense. But, uh, yeah, LSU's offense has been very problematic to defend so far this year. Their defense, however, has not been good at all. Uh, and so Auburn's offense will need to try to take advantage of that. We'll see how LSU responds this weekend against Missouri. Yes, as well, because they do play Missouri. And then after they play Missouri, they play Auburn. So I think this is going to be um, – I know I know with Auburn actually having rivalry games in our schedule, but I think this one would be uh, the battle of the Tigers as well. i, I just probably say that for a good rivalry game, uh, this would be like the Tigers' uh, battle, battle for the Tigers as well in, in the jungle as well. Yeah, certainly a lot of uh, teams named Tigers. Of course, LSU's doing that a couple weeks in a row here because they've got the Missouri Tigers this weekend. So uh, definitely a a big group of Tigers in the SEC, and obviously it feels like there's a Tiger in just about every conference. So uh, certainly a very common nickname. Yes, as well, because it is a strong common nickname, and it's a strong uh, team that any uh, other team in the SEC or any other team in college football can never take out a Tiger as well, because we're we're very strong and we're very uh, we're very loud in a way as well. Yep, trying to trying to roar a little bit louder than LSU next Saturday. That would be the hope. Yes, and then tonight on Wednesday, I have two non-conference games. I'm actually going to be watching 
tonight. I'm watching Florida and uh, Florida Atlantic playing against uh, New Mexico State Aggies. So I had the Florida Atlantic uh, Panthers actually going and taking that win to um, New Mexico Aggies as well. So I'm going to be watching that game. And then I have another game that's a non-conference, which is going to be a really good game between Middle Tennessee State and uh, Jacksonville uh, State as well. So I have uh, Jacksonville State beating Middle Tennessee State as well. And, the, and these two games are very, very, um, you know, this, this is a very dominant game. Uh, this is one of the oldest uh, rivalries between Jacksonville State and Middle Tennessee State. So they've played each other before. So this will be their fourth time actually meeting uh, this year as well in a non-conference game as well. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. I wouldn't say quite on the older side of things, but uh, certainly a conference matchup now between those two. Now that JSU is in the FBS, and I know Florida International, their Panthers will be taking on New Mexico State uh, tonight. So that you're right; those are the two games on. Yes, as well, because I do. Um, I mean, when it's anything that's Florida, I'm always picking any team that uh, Florida actually has because I just. Uh, left from uh, Florida, so that's why um, a lot of a lot of people in Florida and Panama City they didn't want me to leave on my last day because I know a lot of people wanted me to stay for another week. But I said no, I just have to come back home to Alabama as well. Yeah, so the 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 folks at Panama City they they really adore you, huh? Yeah, they actually did. Um, they've actually really uh, liked my my hospitality as well, and um, you know, getting to see what I like to do with my family from time to time. And a lot of people in Florida, they they really treated me very well down there as well. And um, I know some people wanted me to move down there, but I just said I'll just have to stay here in Alabama because I have um, a lot of friends here in Alabama as well. Yeah, no, I really like the state of Florida too, James. I I. Uh frequent that area or not the, that area but uh, certainly that state from time to time and uh, i do enjoy being down there what else is on your mind today well i'm actually going to be looking at um what my dallas mavericks are going to be doing on tomorrow because we do have an 11 o'clock uh 11 30 uh game that's uh, going to be early in the morning on um thursday and it's going to be kind of hard for me to get up that early but i just have to see what um what my Dallas Mavericks are going to do, and uh, seeing if Luka Doncic is actually going to play, because I'm I'm pretty sure that this is going to be um, a good team that I'm looking at for the NBA Finals sometime real soon as well. Yeah, hard to believe the NBA season is right around the corner. You're right; it's an 11 a.m. game on NBA TV between the Dallas Mavericks and Minnesota Timberwolves. That one is being played in Abu Dhabi, so that's why it's a uh, a weird time. Yes, as well. So this will be my first time ever seeing my Dallas Mavericks actually going to Abu Dhabi. I wish I was there with them on the flight to Abu Dhabi. I've never been, but I'll probably put that on my bucket list as well sometime real soon. And I'm just going to, you know, sit back and drink a cup of coffee and, uh, you know, getting to study my new team as well and uh, seeing some of the new guys that we have on the on our roster as well. Yeah, really excited for NBA season to come back, and I know the regular season's only about three weeks away. What else is on your mind? Well, I'm actually uh, going to be looking at some uh, WNBA uh, sometime this week and uh, seeing how New York uh, Liberty is actually going to do for their first game. I'm hoping that they're going to win their first game against the WNBA final champions, the Las Vegas Aces. I've been uh, keeping up with them very well and uh, seeing a lot of different 
uh, outcomes with Sabrina Unescu. I know she's um, she's dominating the field, and I think she's going to actually get that MVP uh, vote sometime real soon as well. Yeah, uh, I know uh, your wings got eliminated last week. I, I know they're frustrated about that, but definitely lost to a good team, and the Aces have been uh, really good all season long, and they look like they very well could win their second straight title. Yes, as well, because I'm, I'm just, you know, with my wings eliminated, I'm very upset with them, and I'm, I'm going to actually, you know, talk to uh, – I'm going to probably see if I can send them a message out saying that they need to work hard or – or you know, let me you know do something for them as well because I've been I've been a wing fan for a long time as well, and it really hurt me to see my wings go out like that as well. Yeah, but it happens. I'm sure they were working hard. Just came up a, a little bit short. Sometimes that happens. Well, James, uh, we're almost out of time for today. What else uh, is on your mind? Well, I do have some NASCAR news uh, for 2024. On February the 4th, 2024, they're actually going to be bringing back uh, the L.A. Clash that's going to be in uh, February of 2024, so I'm getting ready for that one as well. And there's going to be some new, uh, some new race tracks that are going to be listed in, um, in the upcoming uh, weeks for 2024 for next year as well. So um, a lot of NASCAR fans should uh, take a look at the upcoming schedule for next year as well. And it's going to be some great, uh, some new tracks that are going to be added that NASCAR has, um, you know, that NASCAR is actually going to be adding in 2024 as well. And there's going to be uh, some new uh, playoff tracks as well for next year as well. Yeah, I haven't gotten a uh, chance to digest the schedule just yet, but I'm very excited it came out, and I'll be definitely trying to, look at that here in the coming moments and, and try to make some observations. But it was a little bit later being released this year, but definitely excited for uh, the continuation of this playoff run and for uh, future playoff runs. Yes, as well, because um, this coming up weekend, I have, I'm going to be watching uh, the Charlotte race, and it's going to be actually one of my big, my best races I've ever seen. And this is one that is a really good one. So I've um, already did my uh, fantasy uh, NASCAR fantasy draft. So I'm actually going to leave it just like that and uh, seeing if um, if somebody is going to win in the playoff spot as well. So it's it's a random uh it's a random list that i just put together as well all right there well james any final thoughts before i have to let you go um i don't have any final thoughts but tomorrow i might as well uh send y'all a good uh, trivia for thursday as well if i can find something all right that sounds good james well, we appreciate the phone call today all right, War Eagle. War Eagle. That's James Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Uh, yeah, but uh, certainly I think that uh, I was trying to trying to get that. I think it was like a month later than they normally release the schedule, so definitely looking forward to to going through that. And uh, I know that yeah, uh, I know that that uh, there's going to be a few changes on that. We've talked to some of the drivers that uh, have expressed different changes and that sort of thing, and so. Um, be curious to look at all of that but we do need to go to our next time out of the show when we come back we'll get to more of your phone calls on the orthopedic clinic phone line and uh, hit on some other topics in the sports world including the national football league and major league baseball you're listening to the wednesday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 
Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Barry with you here on this Wednesday edition of the program. TP Hammock is running the board and taking your phone calls. Let's move on to a little Major League Baseball as we get uh, into the heart of the playoffs now. Got the wild card round. It's about to conclude for some as Tampa Bay is nine outs away from being eliminated by the Texas Rangers already. Uh, And so the Rangers would move on. In the AL playoffs, I, I we, we had Kevin McAlpin on on the Braves Radio Network yesterday. I think it's very clear how much bigger of a challenge the, the Phillies present than the Marlins. And the Phillies were able to win last night in Game 1. Of course, reminder that these are two out of three series, but they are all conducted at, the, at one venue, uh, the venue of the higher seed, obviously. And so even if the Marlins were to win – Tonight, they do not get to go home for Game 3. Zach Wheeler is who got the start through 100 pitches. Uh, Kevin was talking about how he would probably be unavailable at the start of the Brave Series. I agree, but probably only for the first game. I mean, he would be on full rest by the time the second game came around. So uh, they could even go on one day short of rest, I think, uh, is how the map would work out there. Uh, with with game one so we're going to see wheeler probably twice if, if it's a five game series someone's had good success against the braves uh how where would you rank philly in hierarchy of playoff teams overall just that not even in uh the national league just where would you put philly compared to everybody oh let's see braves dodgers orioles astros Fifth, I'd probably go. Yeah. I'd probably go four or five. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd probably go four or five. I, I mean, I, I think they're definitely got to be behind those that those three those, for sure. The, uh, the Astros are. Um, I, I I could I could switch those between the Astros and the Phillies. Okay, just I mean that Phillies lineup is serious. I, they, <laughs> that's the thing, that, and and I agree with what uh, Kevin McAlpin was saying yesterday. Like, if we had to choose which one. I was like, it, Marlins, Marlins, yes. like, every time, good Lord, oh, Marlins, yes. Like every if you, you want to play the Marlins, yes. you do not want to try to face that Phillies percent. lineup right now. Um, and that was same with last year. I mean, it was, so annoying that they it, they started off so so very slow, and the lineup got better this year, and they they uh, they they've caught up now. I mean, they're they're. Not necessarily in terms of seeding, but in terms of just being able to get their offense going. Their pitching seems like it's really caught its stride. So, uh, I mean, if the Braves do end up having to face the Phillies, it's going to have to be. I mean, you want to bring your A game, obviously, every single time, but you're going to be ha- you're going to have to be on your A game if you're if you're the Braves facing the Phillies. And I mean, maybe they want to see the Phillies because they're they're who knocked the Braves out last year. So maybe they're they're expecting the Phillies to advance. And you're saying, hey, look, we want a round we want a round two of this. I, and getting I, that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, us as fans, I, I get it. As a, as a fan, we're like, no, 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 because we know what happened last year. Right. But 
I bet for them as competitors, they're like, we want to get get back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, and I get it. But, I mean, I mean anytime, this- anytime you're facing a lineup that's got Bryce Harper in it, uh, Trey Turner, uh, Kyle Schwarber, even though his batting average was absolutely yeah, grotesque insane. this he year, he still, still hit 42 40 home runs. runs. 40, I think 42. Yeah, he batted like he batted in the ones, but he hit 42 home runs. He had like 200 and something strikeouts. Still, Kyle Schwarber is a guy that only it, takes one. It only takes one. We know what Bryce Harper can do. JT Rio Muto, another guy that can hit the hell out of the ball. Right, Trey Turner, Castellanos, Castellanos. You know, it's like pick your pick your poison again. That's not a lineup that I want to have to try to face in an elimination, but uh, especially when they have a great pitcher that Atlanta has struggled with, right? A good, a good amount with Zach Wheeler, yeah. Because you couple those elements, you get three solo home runs from the Phillies, you might win that game, or right. two solo home runs and the Phillies right. might win that game when Wheeler's on the mound. I actually have a bit of a hot take, and I'm gl- I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't end up coming to fruition. I think the Phillies are the are the third best team in the playoffs, oh. and the second best or the second toughest team for the Braves to play. Absolutely, um, I think they're actually ahead of both the Orioles and the Astros. The reason is is that the Orioles are not known commodities in the postseason. I'm going to have my doubts about them until they actually make the World Series, and maybe that's just my fault. Um, but because they did win 100 games, they were an excellent regular season mm-hmm. team. Yeah. But it is different in the postseason, right. and that's true. Um, like if I was if I if if you played and this would how it have to be because they're the one in the two seed like right now in the ALCS I would still lean towards the Astros I'm still I'm just they have been so good in the yeah, postseason so they consistent. technically already played postseason games in a way because they had to had to win their last couple series and they did and that's how they ended up winning the division right. after being two and a half back uh, and, and so the Astros to me are still the team that you have to knock off the pedestal in the American League. And so, I again, I know it's discounting a little bit what Baltimore does. They're well-rounded team. No, but I get team, what you're saying in terms of the experience. Sure. Yeah. It's just like and, – and we know them. We know the guys a lot because we've seen them play all year. We watch a lot of baseball, that sort of thing. But the average, average person is not going to know – a lot about the Orioles because they don't have as big of stars as some of these other teams. Sure. That does freak me out from time to time in the postseason. It doesn't always win out. We've seen team like, uh, teams like the Royals win the World Series before. So it's not an absolute must to have stars. But like Adley Rushman, Gun- yeah. Gunnar Henderson, that sort right. of thing, or, or some of your bigger players. Oof. And it's like, well. That's, that's one that burns. That's a name that burns. Gunnar Henderson, yes. Uh, a great rookie this year. And obviously yeah. could have gone Auburn. But, um, you know, I, I think that with them, they're to me. I'll feel better the the longer they go, which seems right. like obvious. But it's like if you get over that first postseason jitters moment, whatever that might be, losing one of the two games at home and then responding on the road. That's when I'll start to feel better about the Orioles. But coming sure. into this, Philadelphia is the team that had this exact same formula last year and ended up going to the World Series. And they were kind of sluggish the first half of the year. This year they had a reason to be. Bryce Harper was not healthy. He started playing in like the second month of the year, was getting ever healthy, ever more healthy throughout the year. Uh, But to me, it it is also about for Atlanta, 
that unfortunately is a team that knows you well. Yeah, you know them well, but, but when you're the you. better team, I think it makes I think it's a better advantage to to be the lesser team that knows the better team well. The underdog. Because when you're just really good and there's a bunch of unknowns, you're really good is going to win out because you're the better team. So like if they played someone that was not like I I could be jinxing them and if they lose the Orioles you can all fight me on air and I'll take the blame and that sort of thing. But it's like yeah. I would feel better playing the Orioles than the Phillies because the Braves have barely played them. And when two teams don't know each other, I know the Braves are the best team yeah, in baseball. The talent. And I expect that to win out. Right. But when you have played someone and you're rivals, you got this extra vitriol, uh, and you beat them. La- the Phillies beat the Braves last year when the Braves were a better team overall. Right. It's like the Phillies aren't scared of them. And, and not that other teams would be, but the Phillies actually embrace the challenge and embrace yeah. the opportunity to play the Braves and don't get concerned by really anything the Braves do. I hate that they have that mentality. But they do, and so I'm really nervous about the series. Quite oh, frankly, for sure. uh, uh, I, I think the Braves will end up if they end up winning the World Series and they go Philly, L.A., Baltimore. That is, or or Houston, Baltimore, or Houston. That will be as tough of a path as you can have because you got a 90 win team that's been acting like a 100 win team for two months. Right. A team that's beaten you in the previous postseason that you're rivals with. That's just to get to the CS. Then you got the 100 win giant that had two MVP. MVP candidates just like you did that's also won a title in the last five years and that's just damn loaded with the right. Dodgers and then if you get to the the final you've got either another 100 win team in Baltimore or you got a Houston team that won the title last year right. and has won a couple a titles of in the last five or six right. years that, that's an incredibly hard road and I don't yeah. know if anyone's talked about that and I'm not trying to make excuses because the Braves do need to go to the World Series for this to be even semi successful in the postseason yeah. but like that is the reality is that this is not some easy draw. You're not getting to beat up on the Brewers for the fourth fourth time right. or that sort of thing. So unless the Marlins come back and upset Philly, uh, with all due respect to Miami and some of these other teams, like Philly is a different class of beast. And and quite frankly, like they're better than the Brewers. You're playing the really which could be the three seed instead of the four seed. Like that's not some easy series to break. And also, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm just like making everyone scared right now. You don't have Charlie Morton, who is someone that is specifically pitches to the moment in these situations. Freed's coming back off of off of, of blister, so you just hope that doesn't open back up. If it doesn't, right. he'll be a hundred percent. But if it does, you're in trouble again. Surely to goodness, a blister has healed up by now. He's, I, I mean, sure. I mean, but he was wearing a band aid yesterday. Oh well. It's like, why are you wearing a band aid? Uh-huh. I, I know I'm freaking out about a band aid, but it's like there's still some yeah, concern it's there. Yeah, it's not 100 percent normal. You don't. Maybe it's just protection. Sure. I mean, maybe so. But in that simulated game, he threw five innings, looked fine. Did wear a band aid, so it's like, hey, if you have to pitch twice in four days, you know, does that open back up? You just. Unfortunately, that's something that Max has dealt with over the years. That's not like the first time right, he's yeah, ever he's, dealt yeah, with that. Apparently, it's something I, that happens often when he gets deeper into the season. Yes. So I, I like Kevin's idea of going Strider game one because he has had a lot of success against Philly. 
uh, throughout his career, even though it's short. It's still like eight or nine starts because that's how often they see each other. Uh, And he's not having an injury concern right now. And so I think that I would go Strider game one. We will continue this conversation on the other side of this break. I know I kind of just dominated with some fear right there. We'll talk about all the good things the Braves have, matchups again, assuming it's going to be Philadelphia, hoping for something different. But uh, Phillies can wrap that up uh, tonight against Miami, setting up a Saturday game one in NLDS. Uh, as the Braves wait on for their NL East opponent. Out of time for our number one. Stay tuned. Much more ahead on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call right here on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620, WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Our number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger FM, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. T.P. Hammock running the board, taking your phone calls here on this Wednesday as we go back to the orthopedic clinic phone line and leading off our number two. Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Doing great, folks. Are you ready to play a game? I guess so. Okay. True or false questions? You tell me which ones are true and which ones are false. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Quote, I personally think every SEC team should be ranked. True or false? Uh, false. Uh, false. Uh, I, yeah, Kirby. I, Kirby said that, but, yeah, uh, I kind of have, okay, have a hard time voting on. Vanderbilt yep. to be ranked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not through. True or false? I can guarantee you there are some teams that don't want to play them that are ranked. Uh, th- them being who? Them being the opponents. I guarantee oh. you there are some teams that don't want to play them. I mean, 
the SEC teams that are ranked. True or false? Uh, can I go half true, half false? <laughs> like no, no, everyone no. wants to play. Everyone would want to play Vandy and someone like that. Um, but so that would make it false. <laughs> right. Okay. Sure. Okay. But there's also All unranked right. teams that other teams would not want to play. I know, but you, you can't go middle on me. All right. True or false? Last one. Every team we play in the SEC is good enough to beat us. Uh, that's false. Yeah. Okay. Who is he trying to, uh, I guess, I don't know, snow in these comments, guys? I mean, it, again, it's just, uh, it's, it's again, it's a lot more coach speak to try to sell yourself, probably, sell your program. And, uh, again, I, I don't, yes, I don't agree with him, but. Also, it just it does. I mean, I, I'm not going to think strongly about it. Okay, I just thought these are just you know. I mean, it was volley coach speak. Uh, I mean, you really, you really going to throw that out, guys? Come on, Kirby. Now, this was the thing that make me just. Uh, I, I really, uh, I've got to the point. I, I can't tolerate him. Uh, I, I'll take, uh, I'll take the the, the post conference or the conference talk from Nick Saban over him now. All right. Uh, but moving on, guys, uh, your comments about the Braves. I, I, please educate me here. I'm not being, this is not, you know, rhetorical question, but I can't for the life of me understand what is it that about their pitching staff that is kryptonite for the Braves? Yeah, it's not necessarily the whole pitching staff. Again, it's Zach Wheeler, and he's uh, been someone that's had a lot of success against Atlanta in his career. Do you Got know a, the reason for it, though? I, I mean, I I think that I mean, well, one is he is a really good pitcher. I mean, that's he's not some bum. He is their best pitcher. Uh, he his repertoire high hard velocity fastball upper nineties sharp curveball. Uh, he's got more than just two pitches. He's got three or four pitches. Uh, he's got changeup. And okay, I'm I'm I'm, I'm saying this good to you because you're you're a lot more smart than I am because he's baseball. How come the Braves haven't figured out how to attack this pitcher? Because sometimes when you make and execute your pitches, then it's very difficult to hit that. And uh, with with Wheeler, I mean, if he's an accomplished pitcher going up against accomplished hitters, sure the hitters will get him some. But if he executes executes his really good pitches and he knows how to get really good hitters out, then he's going to win out a lot of the time too. And this is just a particular matchup. There's other guys out there that I would say the Braves hit really well compared to other teams and some all-star guys that have trouble pitching against the Braves, but Wheeler has just been one that has had a lot of good fortune against them. Okay, anything else that brings the Phillies into such, I guess, uh, uh, kryptonite against uh, the, the Braves? So let's say he, he wins one game. Okay, what about the rest of the games? Well, it is a Phillies lineup that is pretty deep, and it's. I would not say it's better than the Braves. But it is one of the few lineups in the league that actually goes six or seven deep uh, with with really respectable guys. And we were going through them earlier. And they have guys that can hit out of the ballpark. They have some guys that can be passed in terms of fouling off a lot of pitches. Castellanos, who's hit six or seven for them, is a 100-RBI guy. So that lineup, while it's not necessarily as good as Atlanta's, it's one of the next best things. And with the familiarity between the teams, again, I think that's something that Philly used last year. And so they have a lot of confidence when they play Atlanta. That's not a two-way street because they're also familiar with the Phillies by now. Sure, but I'm I'm saying that when my viewpoint is that when you are the weaker of two teams, you get more educated 
than the other way around because you see that really good team and you learn their strengths. You learn what, especially in a baseball random outcome sport, it's different than football when you just move people around and you're faster and that sort of thing. When you pick up on tendencies of these teams, I feel like it's a little bit easier when you're the weaker team to go up against the stronger team that you've seen a lot versus vice versa because the the better team wins more, so they don't learn as much from those. And and also uh, when you're when you're the weaker team, I just feel like you're 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 able to pick up on those things because you're kind of playing as the underdog and you're playing from a standpoint of uh, you know what do you got to lose and that sort of thing. And the Phillies have that mentality where. You know, they're very confident. They don't feel rumpled by playing Atlanta. And, again, I, I think you learn some things if you're the Braves, but I just think it's clear that the Phillies have been able to take what they've learned and apply it here in these, these pressure situations. Okay. All right, so I've heard all that. And yet I asked myself, well, if they're that darn good, then how come they haven't come close to winning near the number of games that the Braves did? And what about the teams that have beaten the Phillies? Who are they? We get, well, Steve, this is baseball. And, again, we've tried to say this numerous times. The best team does not always win, period. The Atlanta Braves are the best team in baseball. They lost two out of three games to the Oakland Athletics because this is a random outcome sport, and the best team is not guaranteed success. And so, again, the Braves would love to play their A-plus baseball every single game in every single situation. The reality is that is few and far between. And so the well, Phillies, yeah, I, the, the last agree. 100 games, the Phillies mm-hmm. have been a really mm-hmm. good team. They started way behind the Braves. They really have a pretty close – I think they were second or third in Major League Baseball record-wise in the last 60, 70, 80 games of the year. So this is not some so – even though they finished 12, 13 or 14 games behind Atlanta, this wasn't some – some bad team all year long that never played any good baseball. Steve, the Phillies won 90 games. I mean, that for most people, that that is an incredible season. I mean, 90 wins is – It's a playoff team every single time. That is really, really good. No, I understand that. Okay, but guys, okay, sure, random things happen. I know you've always said things happen. You know, stuff happens in sports. However, I'm I'm saying as the Braves – this is no longer just random games. This is the playoffs, and these need to mean more than when you were playing. It does mean season. more, but it is random no in the fact that more to the Phillies. it took no more to them. Steve, it took 162 games to figure out who the best teams were and that sort of thing. When you're dealing with a three or four or five game sample size, you should know this because you know that you have to chart a lot of probabilities and a lot of outcomes and a lot of data points. You know that sometimes, and if, if you're doing something five times compared to 162 times, you get a lot more outliers. That is data. And so the probability of you getting the most common outcome just three to four times compared to 100 times or 150 times is much lower. Uh, and so, that again, if the best team – always won we wouldn't do this we wouldn't play playoffs and we wouldn't have these and we would just pencil them in totally i accept that and understand that what i'm coming from is you know sometimes you don't play your best games against lesser opponents like the oakland uh a's okay that maybe it just wasn't that motivating to them okay but this has got to be different for the braves 
much more different. You can try as hard as you want in this sport. That does not guarantee you will hit the baseball where you need to hit it, period. No. And, and okay. Period. All right. Well, you know, I'm sure it's a done deal. I mean, I'd love to. I, Steve, I hope, I hope the Braves win every single game. I, we're on the same team in terms of who we want to win. But – we just can't have the expectation that just because the Braves did it in the regular season that when you get confined to three to four to five games that it will go the way it did uh, out of a, out of 162 times. Yes, they won 104 games, still lost 58. <coughs> and so do you play the worst week of the season? Do you play an okay week while the other team plays their best week? We don't know. But right. in a five games, four, five, six games, anything can happen. That's why we do this. Yeah, and, and baseball is one. Of, baseball is one of those weird sports. I mean, you you could have a Braves team that was the one that we saw take out the Dodgers in L.A., but you could have the same Braves. Yeah, Braves team. were not the best team in baseball when they won the title two years ago. They right. became the hottest team. But I'm just saying, right. even just this year, you know, you you know. Is it the Braves that took down the Dodgers in L.A.? Is it the Braves that lost a series to the A's? Is it the Braves that lost a series to some other team that was not good? Uh, baseball's weird, man. Uh, crazy, crazy things can happen in baseball. And and like Ryan was saying, when you're confined now to these small series of must-win type deals, yeah, I mean, really anything can happen. And about that, I saw this stat that said, wow, this is really um – Interesting stat that apparently in baseball uh, it it really doesn't get an advantage about being the home team. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that you still have us. Uh, I mean, I, I compared to the other sports, you don't. You're right. It's not as big of an advantage. I still would rather be home, uh, but the numbers say that it's not as decisive an advantage as the other sports for sure. Um, and again, that goes in, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the home field, I still value it. I wouldn't say it's nothing, but it's, it's not, it's not the end all be all. Right. All right. Let's move on to our team guys during the bye week real quickly. Uh, so I saw these stats that came from two four seven sports and Jason Caldwell, the one that brought them up. And, you know, I was concerned about our defense at the beginning of the year. I thought the offense would be a little less concerned, but of course I was wrong. Uh, so these are the stats uh, during the, the break that uh, I want to give to you. We're in defensively, we're 28th nationally in scoring defense, right? And we're 36 nationally in total defense. Uh, one of that they said is because of uh, we have forced 10 turnovers in five games. That's good enough for 17th nationally. Jalen Simpson, he, by the way, guys, leads the nation in interceptions. Jalen Simpson. Uh, he couldn't play in the second half. That may have uh, produced a different outcome. And uh, Justin Ferguson certainly think, thinks it did. Yeah. Well, here we come to the offense. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know what the guy's going to do during the break, but uh, here's, here's how troubling it is. Peyton Thorne, he's completed on his own 62.8% of his passes, which sounds on the surface okay, right? Sure. Okay, well, not so fast, my friends. Thor has completed just 55.5% of his passes, okay, against A&M, Cal, and Georgia. Yeah, against Power 5, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then when you put in Ashford's and Holden Garner's, uh, their passing attempts, that brings Auburn's total in three Power 5 games to 30 for 60. 
It's kind of tough to beat people um, if that doesn't improve. You agree? Uh, yeah. I mean, you'd yeah. have to have a uh, – all those completions would have to be incredibly long completions, and, yeah, it's going to be difficult. So I don't think that's our identity. Then I looked at the, the running stats, guys. Chris Hunter, who I thought was going to be the, the big, big producer, has managed only four yards a carry, 50 carries for 202 yards. Brian Batee and DeMario Austin actually have done the best. They've averaged over five yards a carry. Who would have thought that one? I, I didn't know Batee would, right? Yeah, no, I, 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 well, I will say this. I, I'm not trying to be too technical, but if you look at a lot of seasons, uh, it, this would surprise a lot of people, a lot of seasons – the number two running back averages a better yards per carry than the number one back, and that's due to a lot of factors such as uh, just breaking one off going a longer way because if you break off a big run, less less you know less less runs to 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 deter you from that being a big part of your average. Uh, also, when you're playing, as the backup, you're not necessarily the other team's not necessarily anticipating you getting the ball as much. And if you go back and look at it, more times than not, last 10 or so years, Auburn's number two back has actually been higher in yards per carry. Except for some star running backs like on Johnson. Uh, I, I, I'll go back through them again, but even depending on the year that you're referring to, uh, even the star backs, because of how many just carries they got, uh, yards per carry can be a little bit deceiving because again you're running in all these third and one situations where or goal line situations where a two yard run might be uh, the run you need but obviously that would hurt your average and so there's again there's a lot of things that go into it but I wouldn't read too much into just strictly yards per carry because that can um, that, that that can be swayed by just a few few offset runs by the backup guys. Well, I mean, you have a several points. Statistics can be misleading at times, depending, you know, where you get them from. Uh, so, going on forward, guys, is the idea of this team then just running, running and running and running? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I, I think that's going to be the main point here. And yes, Steve, just to clarify that 2017 carry on year for the record, carry on averaged 4.9 yards a carry. The number two rusher was Cam Martin. He averaged 6.1 yards a carry and no one would prefer Cam Martin over carry on. So again, that's, wow, that's I did not know that. Yeah, that, that's, that's how that can, again, it can be very misleading just because of the number of attempts and situations and that sort of thing. But, um, so, I, but yeah, I think the identity of this team is, is rushing. Um, you know, it, it, it sucks because you bring in so many different wide receivers. You bring in Peyton Thorne. There's real optimism. I know we all had it that there would be a competent passing attack. Uh, but through five games, you're not quite there, but you're almost to the territory of you are what you are. And I think Auburn would be smart to to lean into the various ways they can run the football because I still think that overall, yes, some of it was fluky because of the 60-yard Peyton Thorne run and that sort of thing. But I thought – they did a pretty good job of running on Georgia. Like Georgia's still not some scumbag de- defensive team that just can't stop anybody on the ground. I mean, two hundred some yards, two hundred nineteen yards. Right. Yeah, they had nobody done it to them since two thousand eighteen. I read. Right. So I mean, that's five years of of not allowing that kind of output. So I think that you've got the potential with Auburn if they run it in a multitude of ways. They've still got a lot of backs, even with. 
Uh, Demari Austin injured. You talked about Batie, who's been good. I still think Jeremiah Cobb could give you a few strong carries a game. And so, I you know I I think they need to lean into that. They might a keyword might be able in a certain situation on play action or to a certain player like Jay Fair still take advantage of some individual throws. But I I, I think that they have shown enough out of the running game that I think if they leaned into that, they could still be a very, very productive rushing attack and overall at least a decent offense. With that said, guys, um, does this have a likelihood of us focusing on the ground attack, turning off possible you know, full five-star wide receiver recruits? Because they'll say, well, I might have fit good in there. You know, scheme they're 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 running too much and not passing. Yeah, you know that's a that's a good question, Steve. But I think that Hugh Freeze has enough history in this league and as a head coach to be able to show recruits that's not his preference. That might be what they need to do to get by this year. That might be what they need to try to win a couple extra games this year. But that's not what their goal is long term. And if you Perry Thompson or you Cam Coleman or you whoever come into this wide receiver room and we get Walker White in this uh, quarterback room, that dynamic will shift. We don't always want to be a 75% run team. We want to be balanced. And, and again, Hugh Freeze's history says that is true. So I think it's still very much uh, – I was talking yesterday about recruiting and how uh, losses are never great, obviously, but there's two different kind of losses when it comes to recruiting. There's the loss against A&M where it's hard to pitch much of anything because it looks so bad, or there's the loss against Georgia where it's like, hey, five-star player – we were one or two plays away from beating the number one team in the country. You're worth that one to two plays. If you're in that room, if you're in that game, those are the two plays that we need. So I, I think that overall, even though your question is for the long term or, or for the entirety of the season, I still think because of history and because the recognition that Auburn is close, but just not able to to rely on the guys they do have in that passing attack, I think they could still very easily pitch guys on, yeah, history says we want to do this. You're the ones that can help make that happen. Okay. All right. Well, I hope that yours is the correct perspective. This recruiter are, are going to be sold uh, that, that kind of a viewpoint. All right, moving on real quickly, real quickly, guys. Uh, did you see the uh, list of uh, top highest-paid college football coaches? I briefly saw it. I did not study it. I'll go, I'll go back and find it, though. Well, this falls under, the, for me, the way the category of holy crap. Sure. Tom, you like that one? Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen it? Okay, I'll just give you the top three. Guess who they are? Nick Saban. Number one, $11.4 million. Kirby Smart? No, he's number three, actually. $10.7 million. The one that surprised me is number two. Who do you think it is? Uh, I just saw it. I'm no longer qualified to, <laughs> okay. to guess. So. Dabo Sweeney. Yep. I um, did not know that he was paid that darn much. Yeah, I wonder exactly when he signed that contract, but again... You win two titles at a place that has not had a lot of football success. You you make multiple other playoff appearances. I get the current state of the program is not a playoff program right now. But, again, if you signed that a couple years ago right after Trevor Lawrence, then I can I can see how that figure would be that high. I mean, it, to me, a bit of a shocker. A formerly basketball program school, Mark Stoops, $9 million. 
That's hefty, man. That's hefty. I like that, though. And here's why I like that. I know this is weird. And I, I'm not trying to get in the business of where exactly you should be ranked. But Kentucky has a guy that has stabilized that program that makes them somewhat relevant, that gets them into the top 25 from time to time. And they value that. And he values being there. And so they have obviously need to pay a lot to keep him from trying to see if the grass is greener on the other side. But like that shows you a commitment that you don't want to just be a basketball school that you do want to compete with these guys. And yes, they've not won anything of consequence yet in the SEC, and maybe they never do. I don't know. But I, I appreciate that a mid to smaller SEC program is trying to buy into a guy and trying to realize the value in something they've had because that's a tough job, and, and he's done a really good job with that. And I know there's the Calipari and Soup's bickering on football or basketball school. It's still clearly a basketball school. But I do appreciate that they understand what this conference is about and that they're they're trying to make efforts because Vandy doesn't care. I mean, Van, Vandy Vandy can't even get their damn stadium fixed in time for the for the <laughs> season to start. So I appreciate that Kentucky at least is is trying to care and and pay a guy that they think is very valuable to them. Well, I was impressed that they wouldn't commit that much money, and guess who who gets paid less? Who is a traditional football school? Pitt State only is paying James Franklin eight and a half million. Yeah, I mean that's still <laughs> that's still a lofty sum. I mean, sure, I, I, I get you know, totally over, over Mark Stoops. Though? Right? No, I mean again, yeah. I mean, I understand that that point of the argument, but you know, he's still what I'm, what I'm saying is he's not doing too shabby at eight and a half million. He's still he's still good. And Hugh Freeze is getting what again, guys? Uh, five, six, six and a half. Uh, I think he's uh, I think he's on this list at twentieth uh, in the country. Okay. Yep. And the lowest, I guess, would be in the SC would be Vanderbilt. I would think for all the world, yes. Yeah. I don't have, again, every – but, I mean, even in the top 25, for example, Shane Beamer's 24th and Drinkwitz is 25th. So that would be a couple of the other candidates. I don't know what Arnett at Mississippi State makes. That would be probably the la- the only other person down there. But, but yeah, everybody else is pretty much in the top 25. And, guys, that $11.4 million, that does probably not even include – what he gets paid by Affleck, those commercials. Oh, no, yeah. No, he that's definitely separate, and I'm sure that's very lucrative for him, that's too. That's just probably loose change there. Yes. Okay, moving on. Speaking of loose change, guys, the very first time that a professional sports player has made Forbes' top 400 list, who is it, guys? First time professional players made the Forbes' top 400. Uh, Messi? No, good guess, though. Is it Ronaldo? Nope. Is it Mbappe? I don't know. I'm going to stop guessing mm-hmm. soccer players. Is it a basketball player? Is it LeBron? Is it, a, it is a basketball player, yes. But it's not LeBron. Steph Curry? Nope. Good grief. Uh, it's not LeBron. Jokic? Well, no, there's no way. You Jokic. guys, he's a legend. He's a legend. Oh, you're talking about uh, he's not playing now. Jordan. Michael Jordan. There we yes. go. Okay, I'm sorry. That was embarrassing. Yep. I, I thought it was an active player. And no, jo- I yeah. should have been. But anyway, just this is the first time. I didn't know. I thought surely some other sports players would have made it by now. But no, he's over, he's over 379 on the list. Yeah. At $3 billion. You had to make $2.9 billion net worth to be on the list. And he made it at $3 billion. Nice. Yeah. He, I, I, can, I can see that. He's he's definitely got a lot of investments and uh but I would yes. have guessed LeBron James as well. 
So he's not on the list. He'll get there. Uh, he'll get there. Just he's not had enough time for the other businesses to to bloom yet. I mean, Jordan is. I don't know if that's including. I don't know how they do the Hornets thing because he's in the process. I think he just sold that or sold at least the majority stake. So I don't know how that factors in, but that's a lot of money. He does own uh, part of a NASCAR team. Obviously, the Jordan brand is a apparel brand that continues to grow. So, I mean, it's more about just the income you make as a player. It's obviously what you do post-playing, post or else or else a lot of those guys would start to creep on that list. Sure. Last thing for uh, us, Stephen, we got to go after this. Nevertheless, Mr. Oscar Chapman made what? Uh, the special Ray teams. Punter of the Week Award. Punter of the Week, yeah. Ray Guy Award, yes. <clears throat> and for those who are better, finally, can you please tell me, because this is where I would, as a better, have been suckered in, uh, but why in the world – is Vegas having Alabama, the vaulted Nick Saban Alabama coach team, a two-and-a-half-point favorite only against A&M? Probably nervous about last time that, that game happened in College Station because we all thought Bama would have no problem with that, and then Zap Calzada beat them at A&M. So I think it's just a little bit of tepidness towards – because, I mean, that was an 8-5 and five A&M team. That was not their really good team. So – uh, th- I think it's just a little bit of, hey, Alabama's not looked dominant this year. A&M did beat them in the situation two years ago. Uh, I do think Alabama's the better team. But, yeah, I mean, that game is a little – is potentially nervy. <clears throat> okay, I just saw that and said, huh, what does Vegas know that the – Yeah, that doesn't happen good? often. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, um, thank you very much again for all the time you allow me that I probably have not earned. Uh, and so, with that said, have a safe afternoon and evening. Look forward to listening to some of the comments on the podcast, too. And uh, we'll do this again, uh, hopefully, uh, tomorrow. Same time, same bad channel, or same sports channel. War you guys. War you'll see. Appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward MC joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to head to our first break here of the 4 o'clock hour. When we come back, we'll talk some more. Uh, baseball, we had a discussion. We hadn't quite wrapped up to the end of the 3 o'clock hour about the Braves. Uh, we'll also talk some football. And again, Joe Bartle at 515 of Rotowire. He'll be joining us to talk some fantasy football. Stay tuned to that. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Canberry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday edition of the program. I want to remind you that coming up at 6 o'clock tonight, as it does each and every Wednesday through the fall, 
It's the High School Coaches Show with Brooks Childress. He'll be joined by Chris Tarno tonight over at the End Zone Bar and Grill right here again, Tiger 95.9 at 6 o'clock. And so I want to stay tuned for that as another week of high school action is just around the corner. We were talking right before the end of the hour break, and then we had the, the Ward MC phone call. So I want to get a couple more thoughts on baseball playoffs, particularly the Braves here, before we move on to some football. We were talking Braves versus Phillies because that's the anticipated matchup. It would be very. I would even take just the Marlins winning tonight, just to force more pitchers being yes. used tomorrow, uh, yes, and as well. like that would be productive in its own way. But uh, I think that man, I, 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 it's now that time where you transition into okay. You had 162 games of excellence. You broke all these records, individual and team, and. But why you do it for is to try to win the trophy. Yep. And the baseball season is the longest season. You get wrapped up in the regular season. There's so much to watch. It's such a pleasure on a summer day to turn the TV on and listen to Ben Ingram across the Braves Radio Network. If you're on TV, Brandon Godden now. And just enjoy a game. And, and not have to live or die by it because it's not only in your season. It's not like a football game. You lose one and you're p- panicked. Just be able to chill out and watch a game. Well, now it's that time where every game and every inning and every decision gets gets scrutinized. And it's just nervy because I want this team that accomplished so much yeah. to not be remembered as a team that, yeah, it was a great team, but, boy, they didn't do a damn thing in the playoffs because that was a lot of Braves teams in, in the 90s and early oh, 2000s. That- win 14 <clears throat> straight division titles that went to the World Series a few times but only won it once. Like the, the the history of the Braves is to kind of be this, to be this awesome regular season team and underwhelm in the postseason. Man, I don't want to go back into part two of that. No, I don't want to go back into it either. Uh, but I, I definitely think this core has the potential to win multiple World Series. Uh, you know, hopefully going down the line, uh, they can you know piece together everything else that's missing outside of uh, the core that you know we all know is locked up for some what four five six years yep um but i i really hope that they're able to finish this truly historic season that they've put together this year um i they they had the they finished the the season the regular season i read this from lindsey crosby with a 501 slugging percentage which is the highest of all time um uh, for a team and it's just like stuff like that is is you know, just unheard of and unprecedented things. And so you want to be able to make it where the crowning achievement is you finish and you win the World Series and you were the best team in baseball throughout the entire season and and you finish everything, you know, at the top. And then we're all going to Atlanta to go celebrate and have a second parade. I mean, it'll be great. I can't wait. Uh, hopefully it happens. So we'll see. But I, I definitely don't want us to be known you know, I want to I want to remake the Braves. I want the Braves to have their image remade, um, and hopefully, this is the steps towards that. Yeah, and you know, I think the interesting thing here is as we play this out throughout the years. So this is part two of a Braves franchise asserting dominance in the East and going on silly awesome runs. So the first time you win all the division titles is built on the arms. It's built on Max Lavin and Smoltz. You had guest appearances from like Steve Avery or Kevin Millwood or John Rocker in the bullpen, whoever. And you had great hit. I mean, a couple great hitters on each team, you know, whether you had a a couple years of justice or obviously Chipper for a long time, Andrew for half a decade, almost a decade. 
uh, and, and just guest appearances there, a year of Sheffield, all that. But it was still the pitching was the foundation, right. and you worked on could you get enough hitting to do it. So this is the opposite of that. This is you've got all the bats. You've got Acuna. You've got – it was Freeman now, also, but you've always had a great lefty right, first great. baseman here right. in the last right. five or six years. Uh, you've got a middle infield of Albies who is one of the most powerful middle infielders in the sport, even though I he looks him. like he should be this little speedster that steals 60 bases. That's not him at all. <clears throat> RC makes the, the the all-star game this year, but Austin Riley on the corner, who's also a 30-hundred RBI guy. And, like, it's this foundation of players. You've signed your catcher long-term, although Murphy and Darno both struggled in the second half. We can talk a little bit right. about that. But, like, you just got this big core of players. And, of course, Acuna, who's going to win MVP this year in a hotly contested race. Like, you've got five to six, like, core starter right. players really, that I expect really to start caliber. for Atlanta probably the whole 2020s or yeah. at least close to it. For sure. Whereas with the pitching, it's like, okay, you've got Freed, although the free agency decision coming up in a year, you know, you should have Strider for a while. But then everything else is still kind of unsettled because Wright didn't do anything this year. He's hurt. He pitched well when he was healthy. Elder was just a rookie, kind of tailed off at the end. Like, those are just not known commodities yet. Right. So you, you might end up getting five, six, seven years of those guys. You might not. I don't know. Freed and Strider, you're two, core, two horses yeah, for true. now. But it's clear that the core is around the hitting. So – does that work better in the postseason? Because we, we have these debates in other sports, defense or offense, defense or offense. And I will tell you that in general in sports, it used to be defense win championships, and I've, I've yeah, swayed that to offense mantra. in the recent decade with how yeah. the rules go in these other sports. But in baseball, I'm not as committed to an idea of offense or, or pitching because it's pitching slash defense. But if you listen to the Braves of the 90s and early 2000s, you would have thought they won way more than one title for the pitching they had because they had the best unit year in, year out. Three Hall of Fame guys on one staff is incredible. And they all did something a little different. Right. Um, so it wasn't like you were seeing the same thing every night. And I just I just don't know. I, I'm optimistic and hopeful, but I just don't know how, if you do this for, say, 10 to 12 years, if that will result in more – fruit of labor in the postseason i guess to be fair this isn't technically that new if this is year six and they've got one title to date and it was the team that was probably weakest in the regular right. season of all of them because cunha was out i i'm just i don't know i'm curious and and hopeful that this historic offense does not peter out when it does meet the right. slightly better pitching yeah that's so interesting i i don't know Maybe the I, – I don't know. I, I, I could lean more towards the offense being much more important than, you know, the pitching or the defense because pitching is great and you have – having those, you know, two or three high-quality starting pitchers is, at, like, crucial just to, to get your team going because usually – I mean, I know the Braves are one of the best first-inning teams because they just were able to jump pitchers, but – you know, usually it kind of takes a while, and usually a hitter can kind of figure out how a pitcher is, is, you know, going about their pitching and their motions and things like that, however, however. And then they're kind of able to figure it out. That's why no hitters are so rare. That's why, you know, complete games are so rare, uh, things along the lines of that. And usually a starting pitcher can't really get past, you know, I mean, you know, due to sometimes due to pitch count, but also due to just giving up hits because the hitters are able to figure them out because obviously this is, I mean, these are the best players in the world playing baseball. So 
and, and as hitters, they're amongst the best. So they're going to figure it out eventually. So that's why I think a high-powered offense is so necessary. But the Braves have been able to – and that, but that also plays a part because the Braves have been able to figure out and get wins. Even in low-scoring games, they've been able to get it because their hitting is so good. Even when it's not on, it's still you have somebody that's able to get something going, get a, get a home run, just, you know, if, a, if the pitcher that they're facing is dealing, they're able to figure something out uh, and, and kind of get the offense kind of sprung and going. Because, I, I mean, this offense, and, and like most offenses in baseball, but I think this one really in particular, feeds off of momentum like no other offense that, you know, kind of we've ever seen where it's just, I mean, really just, you know, he, Ronald gets on base and it's like, Acuna, or excuse me, uh, uh, Ozzy might get a hit, or or Olsen might get a hit home run, something along the lines of that, where it's just they just truly feed off of each other. So that ability, just once that pitcher is kind of rattled, this offense is able to just kind of just start getting after it. And so that's why I think it kind of gives a, a a bigger opportunity for the Braves to to go deeper this year. Yeah, well. I, it- the, the thing that, yeah, that's going to let the Braves go deeper because, like we've talked about before, that lineup, anywhere in that lineup can hurt you. Anywhere. Like, it, seriously. It, it doesn't matter what part of the lineup a pitcher is pitching to. It, they can hurt you anywhere, up and down. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, the Braves are obviously favored in this. No matter who they put, whether, whether it's the Marlins or Philly, the Braves are going to be favored in it. Uh, but I just I, – I agree with everything that y'all been saying, though. It's like – Oh, we've we've kind of seen this before, and uh, it's you know, nervous time. It man. is nervous. Yep. It's definitely nervous time. Um, yeah, you just I, I'm nervous about the layoff. Uh, I know that's that's been that big talking point is is the layoff um, that the Braves are having to sit through right now. Uh, yeah, I don't like that, and uh, there's not really anything that I can say positive about it. You want to try to keep your momentum going, but. Uh, you just kind of also have to just kind of take in the fact that the Braves are just that good. I mean, that's why they've broken all the records. That's why their their overall record is the way it was. That they are just that good, and so hopefully we, you can have the confidence, and they can have the confidence going into the whichever series or whoever it is that they play. That by God, they are just the best team in baseball, and we're gonna show it. Yeah, no, I think that it's I just hope. I, I, I hope so too. Um, <laughs> I, I wish that you because I'm a little worried about the layoff too, and maybe that's just me worrying about. Uh, no, I think that's a real thing to worry yeah, about. That is it's absolutely. still a little too new. Where I I just I don't know if I don't know if we really know the full full effects there. That's why the Braves were trying to have this deal where they open up. The, the practice, the, the scrimmages, like uh, yeah, Kevin was talking about yesterday, right. try to get fans in there. I think it's a good idea. I also think 700 people Simulated going in there, or... unless you're playing the Rays in a playoff game, is not going to really simulate it. <laughs> I love hanging fruit. And I'm sorry to Tampa because I love Tampa, but they're just. Uh, I, it's that's right a, there. That's all I mean, ultimately, right a scrimmage, a scrimmage yeah. is going to be a, scr- a scrimmage, is a scrimmage, is a scrimmage. Yeah. It, that's not going to replicate. Right. right. Yeah. What is about to happen? So, you know, hey, yeah, cool. We didn't have these simulated games and all. I mean, but I mean, you kind of figured that's at least something they were going to be doing anyway. They're not just going to be sitting on their butts through the break, you know, with a practice here and there. 
it's still it's not the same once once that comes out you have now had a a layoff from real competition you've got to get your mentality back into where it needs to be and locked in or you go home early yeah uh, simple as that Simple as that. Five or six minutes left here in hour number two. Again, coming up at 5.15 today, Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire will join us uh, and talk all things fantasy. We'll get into some NFL uh, there in hour number three uh, and uh, start to look ahead towards this next week of games. I wanted for just a moment to talk about some of these last week games. Hit on them a little bit. Um but didn't didn't really get to the full scope of things. You know, I d- disappointing week for the Falcons. Of course, we have all games right here on Tiger ninety five point nine throughout the year. Um, I think pregame coverage started at like six a.m. for that London game uh, for the eight o'clock hour start time. Um, disappointing game in Jacksonville. Ritter continuing to struggle, continuing to not get as much of the offense as they want right now um defensively i think it's still holding up fine i think that's the good news i do think some of the free free agent acquisitions um helped atlanta out and jesse bates still playing all over the place and, and doing a great job um but interesting interesting part of it too and i maybe this is not as cool of the part but i still am wowed that jacksonville is going to play two games over there in a row yeah, which is uh, interesting. The London Jaguars. I, I, I'm sniffing it. I think we joked with uh, Joe last week about Jacks. it. I'm still just a little hung up on that because I'm starting to feel like Jacksonville is going to end up losing that team, but I also kind of feel like Jacksonville doesn't care that much. Yeah, and they should. Like they like should. the last time a city losses an NFL team, well, I guess San Diego and St. Louis lost yeah. at the same time, but St. Louis was very hurt, and they should have been. They were very hurt. Oakland at that time. God, Oakland lost it, lost it too, and they were very yeah. hurt. Yep, but they've also been a struggling city yeah, too. Yeah, in but general, well, but Jacksonville's not struggling. No, they're the not. City. They're they're probably growing, if anything. Yeah, but I, I don't understand it. Yeah. I think it's the ownership. It, I I really think it's just what's it? Ahmad Khan, Shad Khan, Shad Khan. Khan. Excuse yeah. me. The the thing that I see about that with Jacksonville. I mean, obviously, there's no other pro sports team in that town. So right. that 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 about that. They, they, well, there's there's a pro there's a pro and con here with that. You would think that they would support it even more right. because Quoting it is it is your only professional <laughs> right. sports team. Right. So you would think that would be a thing. But also, you're still in Jacksonville, Florida. You're in college football country. Uh, granted, you're in Florida. I get it, but you are still you're not far from from Georgia. Yeah, you're not far from still the college hotbeds of the Panhandle of Florida. It's still college football country in Jacksonville, Florida, and the majority of the folks there are more going to be more of your college football fans and not necessarily pro. Now you will have the ones that will gravitate to that, but um, the the fan base is still going to I think more oriented towards college football and that market of Jacksonville. It, while it is growing. It's just it's not a, it's a bunch of retired folks <laughs> uh, and navy folks. Yeah, hey, you got yeah. a bunch of navy. So you've got a you bunch of navy no and real, retired folks. 
you just think there's like no real like established. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a reason. Know. There's a reason that they have not acquired any other professional sports franchises, yeah. and yeah. there's never really any talk. We keep talking about major league expansion. Right. I have not heard a single person it. go. You know what, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida would be a great yeah, place for I a major you. league team. It's like, no. For That's sure. not even remotely discussed. I think what you're saying is fact, but I guess what my rebuttal is is I don't understand why they don't care as much because I know you said the bit about college, but think about it. Tampa. The places that college is king, the places that college is king is usually because they don't have a, a pro sport. Like If you have a pro sport and a college that's big in the same place – Usually that pro sports more cared about, which is what happens out west all the time with all those teams. Like USC is a big school; they can't get hardly any run in LA because everyone's obsessed by the Lakers and the and the Rams and God knows what else is going on. Even in Texas, as big as Texas is, and they are huge, Cowboys. the Cowboys are yeah. the hugest. Yeah, sure. You know, and it's like but they also have the history to well, them. The Jaguars well, sure. don't. Well, sure, but I mean, it's still at some point you got to build your history. There still wasn't a yeah. big school in Jackson, college in Jacksonville. They do play the Florida Georgia game there, which I think is the most relevant part right. of it. But I'm just saying, like, I'm not disagreeing. You're right. That's how they're acting. I just don't get why that's yeah. how they're acting. Right. It doesn't make because sense. it doesn't make sense to me to ignore your pro- professional football franchise in the favor of things that actually you don't really have. Because you don't really have the call. You have the big game every year between Florida and Georgia until it's not there one day, you know, if if they ever move it. So I'm just, I guess I'm just saying, like, I'm surprised they don't value their franchise more. But then also some of that's ownership. And sometimes the owners don't invest in the community the way they need to. And it can go both ways. But I'm just saying, like, if Jacksonville doesn't want it, I'll take it in Birmingham. I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll I'll t- I, it wouldn't do well. No, it wouldn't. Uh, yeah. It would not. It, it would not do well in Birmingham. Um, I'm just, it, I'm just uh, jealous, Tom. I'm just saying. No, I like, know. I get you. Like I, I love the professional yeah. sports too. I love yeah. the college and professional sports. Give me all the sports. It's just, it, it, it's one of those things. I think it's just, yeah. I mean, it's just the city of of yeah. Jacksonville they itself. Just it's don't care just for it as much. No, it's odd. I, and I, and I'll tell you this. I think even, let's just say they even moved them to. Orlando. I don't think it I don't think it would have that type of success in Orlando either, even though that's more of a market right. for, for professional. a professional team. For sure. I mean, but you know, but even then, all you got's the magic. Yeah. And a soccer so, team. Yeah. Well you got City. a soccer team, yep. sure, but that don't count. <laughs> I'm just giving you a professional sport. So you take it or leave it. Uh, out of time for hour number two. When we come back in hour number three, Joe Bartle of Rotowire at 515 and also a sports call on 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ Tuskegee Auburn, and AM620 WTRP LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. 
To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app, or if you're listening after the fact, on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday afternoon turning into evening. T.P. Hammock is running the board and taking your phone calls today. And now it is time for the Sports Call 5 at 5. It's presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. You're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers. Your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that, too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. All right, so for the 5 at 5 today, it's going to be a little bit of a grim 5 at 5. It is an Auburn update, but it's going to be about an injury update from the SEC teleconference when Hugh Freeze spoke earlier so let's get to that and let's start out with number one spoke about Javarius Johnson who is more of a day-to-day week-to-week type of injury it was a hamstring injury that kept him out of the Georgia game hopefully the bye week will allow that to heal and he'll be available for LSU so a little bit of a short-term injury but that was the prognosis of why Javarius Johnson did not end up playing on Saturday Number two. Linebacker Austin Keys is, quote, about three weeks away from deciding whatever they're going to do. Uh, so that does not sound very positive for Austin Keys. It sounds like in a couple weeks it's going to kind of be like a, a, a breaking point where he's either going to be able to play again this year or he's going to be out for the year. So not necessarily good news there on linebacker Austin Keys, who's been out since the first couple weeks of the season. Number three. Damari Austin is – Making a stride towards a return, he might be able to play the week of LSU. If not LSU, probably by Ole Miss week. And he had a rib injury uh, after the uh, Texas A&M game. Got, got popped real good early in that one. Um, and so Damari Alston is trending towards a pretty quick recovery. Might be available for the LSU week or maybe against Ole Miss. Number four. This one is a rough one. This one is an injury sustained during the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Messiah Nasili Kiete is out for the season with a torn bicep. He went down in the Auburn-Georgia game. The Maryland transfer, who was starting for the Tigers, uh, got, again, injured during that game. Saw him going to the sideline. Uh, and In fact, I believe... <laughs> I believe he was the guy that actually faked an injury he, at he one was. point he was. Uh, for Auburn. Well, he ended up being very injured later in the game. Again, torn bicep, <laughs> and, and Nasili Kiete is out for the season. And last up on the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Number 5. Keontae Scott will, quote, hopefully return before the end of the year. So you got... A couple of long-term injuries with not-so-good news. Again, Austin Keys is still a few weeks away from any decision being made on his future. Nasili Kiete 
is out for the year in the defensive front, and Keontae Scott still kind of designated as a hopeful to return before the end of the year. So there is some Auburn injury news for you in the football landscape of things. And again, four of those five injuries, or excuse me, three of those five injuries with defense and all those three defensive injuries looking like very long-term, potentially season enders. Uh, so not good stuff there. That's the sports call five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group. All right, again, coming up in just a few minutes, Joe Barnell of Roto-Wire will join us. Guys, important question here for you, the most important I've asked today or the rest of the week. How's your fantasy teams doing so far this year? Uh, hit and miss for me. Uh, I actually, this past week, I had a tie. One of those weird. Gross. Tie, yeah. Unbelievable. Um, uh, yeah. That's hard to do. It, it is really is. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I, it's been kind of a up and down uh, for me. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of injuries in mine. I've had to uh, – just about every week I've had to readjust my lineup and move some folks around due to injuries. I, I lost uh, uh, a running back to a season-ending injury and then turned around and lost a receiver to a season-ending injury. And so, Ugh. yeah, I've been having to <laughs> scramble on some of that. But – uh, I've got some guys that have have been some standouts that didn't expect that they were going to be. I hoped that they were going to be, and they've done well for me. So, yeah, a little bit of up and down right now. My teams are doing pretty good. Uh, doing okay. I've got I've got four teams, which is down from usually I somehow end up in. I, I say I'm going to not do many leagues, and then I end up in like six. Right. So now I'm at like a healthy four. And well, healthy for me at least, uh-huh. you know, four four leagues is good. Like that's easily manageable for me. So I've got one, one team where I'm one and three, um, which is that's I had a rough pick. I got the last pick, so that was a rough one. Um, and then I have two teams that are two and two, and then I have one team that's three and one. So kind of like all over the place with oh. with my. I've got two mid teams, one that's pretty good, and one that's be pretty good we'll see that one in three team has potential that's kind of how I'd ha- i had to draft so we'll see if that that team ends up making a making a push they they did pretty good last week so hopefully i uh hopefully it can uh it can really build on, on itself so uh for the one for the fantasy that we do here uh i'm two and two and the other one that i'm in i'm, I'm also two and two i'm one two and one but the the thing is, and I guess maybe this is where I'm, I, I get disappointed is because that's the records I have. But pretty much every single one of those on my projected, uh, my projected, projected I, I to win. I, I'm always projected to win, yeah. uh, and I'm pretty much always projected in the 120 to 130 uh, score range, which is really really good. And then I had one that I lost uh, to Brant Daughtry where I was in the one sixties and, and he, and I still lost. I I was, I had, I was, I was in the one sixty points and still got beat by Brant. So uh, yeah, I'm fortunate enough that I have some really good players on there and, and pretty much my projections are always in that one, that one twenty range, which that's a good starting point for sure. Just got to have the guys produce for me and not get hurt. Oh my gosh. I just looked at my roster and, I have two questionables that just popped up, so that's not Excellent. ideal. I just, I just. Excellent. Love that. Maybe you can but, ask uh, Joe about those. Yeah, for sure. Right. I, I, I'm, I love fantasy football. I, I find a lot of joy in it. I wish you would yeah. play it, Ryan. I know you, you don't. But well, hey, I'm I, undefeated though. I know, but I'm no, I've telling never you, never lost man, fantasy football. I, I, never I just think Ryan would be 
with how analytical obsessed you are. over it. Yeah. I just and think, that's why I don't because I, <laughs> I don't want to ruin. You're trying to stop yourself. Yeah, hang, hang on. Let me not that's prepare fair. for the right. show real quick. I've got to look if, if Nico Collins is going to be my number. Yeah. That's fair. Number two my, you'd week. be pretty. You'd be pretty damn good. My, at my only my only that. questionable right now for this week in our office one is uh, Kyron Williams from the Rams, uh, and he and he's been doing great. Yeah, who the Rams have this week? Uh, Philly. That's going to be no, tough. Don't do it. Well, <laughs> hey, I'm just, uh, but I mean, it's hard to with the point production that he has been giving you. Yeah, I know he's been really. Good. It's really the Rams hard have been a very productive down. fantasy offense. They have been. They're hit or miss right now as a football team, but I keep waiting on Lamar Jackson to finally break out. He he's. Well, he's just not doing he's the been, running quite as much. Right. He's Lamar, been he had a good game last week and the, well, the yeah. last two no, weeks. Well, the thing is, it's but it, it's been good games, but it's not been huge point production in the fantasy realm. It's been yeah, good, he's playing well. As he's an, playing well yeah. as a quarterback, but he is not putting up just like huge fantasy numbers up, by any means. Let's see, last week not I compared to other quarterbacks, I have, I have him in a different league. He put up like I'll take twenty eight. He put up twenty eight last week. So that was our this past week, yeah, right? But, so yeah, that but there, there's other quarterbacks that are throwing out 40s almost every time they step on the field. And it's like, geez, Tom may be getting like, victimized by them. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I don't know. I, I can't not, speak. Not I don't as know. much. I, I, I still think Lamar's doing pretty good. And, and he, he, he averages, had a rough first game. Because he averages 21.4. I'll take that out of yeah, my quarterback. Sure. I'm not a, I can't expect my quarterback to drop 40 every single time. It's just not feasible. Um, but the skill positions and, and, and Lamar has high upside as well, in my opinion, because he runs the ball. And I think Todd Munkin now, and now that he's the offensive coordinator really sees that, okay, I need, I need to in goal line situations, uh, giving Lamar the ball is just kind of the best move, honestly. And it, he had, I think four total touchdowns and two of them were rushing two passing. So, um, he's, he's. I think he's doing pretty solid. I think they were just kind of figuring each other out, and now I think that it's really starting to um, the 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 Ravens, excuse me, offense is starting to really start to click. So I just need more from Lamar. <laughs> Lamar's on my one and three team, but I, I loved what I'm seeing. The steady improvement. They paid him the big contract. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So you know, he he's, he's, he he yeah. said it himself yeah. after the first game. He's like, I'm a little rusty. <laughs> so, hey, I feel it, man. We're going to go to our first time out here at the 5 o'clock hour. When we come back, the aforementioned Joe Bartle of Rotowire will join us to help you with all of your fantasy football needs. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. And we are now pleased to go back to our orthopedic clinic phone line where we welcome on Joe Bartle of Rotowire here with all of your fantasy football needs. Joe, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you this afternoon? 
I'm doing all right. Hopefully the Brewers make my day a little bit better. But uh, I know you guys don't have much of an issue when you have an actual good baseball team to root for. <laughs> well, uh, we were talking about the, our stress level, the fact that it could be potentially the Phillies that they have to play and how our stress level with this series potential is kind of up there right now. Yeah, well, we'll see again next, how, how how it's going next Wednesday after we played a couple games of that series. But, yes, you're right. The Brewers are, are up against it there with Arizona. Got to win two in a row. Uh, they're at home in Milwaukee. But, uh, Joe, uh, when we look at uh, the fantasy football landscape here after four weeks of the year, we're now at essentially the quarter mark of the season. I know there's 17 games now, so technically that it's not quite a quarter. It'll be a quarter during this next game, what have you. Uh, is this now the right time uh, if you're a fantasy football owner to kind of reassess rosters, kind of start to feel like the season's kind of playing out a certain way and try to be more active in the trade market? Or it kind of are, are these basically known commodities four weeks through a season? Yeah, I don't know about known commodities, commodities per se, but I do think there's um, – you know what your roster is, if that makes sense. Like I, I think there's, there's times where – uh, points can differ, and you can have more or less than your projected points, and I think situations can change, injuries can change, um, but I think you can you can have an overall totality of your roster, and at this point, I don't really feel like there's that many free agent waiver wire pickups that make a true difference, uh, obviously some certain situations, but you go back to beginning of the uh, beginning of the season, you got Kyron Williams, and guys like Jerome Ford after Nick Chubb's injury, and uh, you know, there's a few of those pickups, and, and that just dwindles more and more as the season progresses, and there's less um, ability for that to change uh, and impact your roster, too. So I, I don't know about known commodities exactly, but I do agree in the sense that I think you know where your team is at, and while a 1-3 re- record might not be indicative of what you are from a fantasy perspective, it, it is uh, you know a combination of bad luck. It could be at certain times, but also a recognition of, okay, I, I need to make a change in my roster if I have postseason aspirations and stuff like that. Joe, looking at the Detroit Lions, uh, we know that they drafted Jameer Gibbs, you know, pretty high. They traded up to get him. We're really happy about him. And and they were saying, you know, all these reports about his usage and he was going to be all over in the offense. And I know Thursday night, you know, he was supposed to get a lot of touches. David Montgomery wasn't going to be playing. Then all of a sudden he was playing. And then David Montgomery went off for over 100 yards and three touchdowns. I know it was against your Packers. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what what do you think on Jameer Gibbs? Should, should we, you know, Know, fantasy guys that own him should should he be sold at this point in time just based off the potential that could be there towards the end of the season or should we stick with him as an owner and and see how he plays out yeah i'm not convinced there is that guaranteed potential at the end of the season but my only concern is you're probably drafting around the fourth or fifth round and i i don't think there's any way you could anymore close to that value so if this is a dynasty league or keeper league um you could talk me into Situations will differ in future seasons, or the Lions will recognize the draft capital invested in Gibbs and therefore utilize him more. But I don't, I don't see how this is much different than essentially an upgraded version of Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift from last year. And I think that's that's a really key point for me is that it's been very consistent in what Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Lions, wants to do and how he wants to operate with these guys. And Montgomery's a better version of Jamal Williams. And I think uh, even though DeAndre Swift's crushing it for the Eagles, I think Jameer Gibbs is a better version of Swift for the Lions last year, too. And I don't know if that situation plays out to a point where you're really happy with the Swift slash Gibbs side of that fantasy investment. So I'm not eager to go ahead and acquire him. Uh, if somebody was to do a two-for-one trade and I need an additional receiver or 
Gibbs would be my my running back two or a flex play. I would I would do that with the assumption that in full point PPR leagues, Gibbs is just going to give me enough of a floor each and every week that I I can uh, make sure that works my roster with the hope that there is potential upside, even though even though I don't think there is going to be. But I'm not actively going out and acquiring him. I'm, I'm not treating him as the asset that he was in the fourth or fifth round in early drafts. Uh, and and I think that's it's going to be a hard move to make uh, unless you have a lot of depth at certain positions and somebody else is really hurting. Uh, well, now let's mention your Packers there for a little bit. Uh, in, in particular, uh, Aaron Jones. Uh, thoughts on him? Uh, is is he still a viable guy? What's going on with the Packers? Yeah, absolutely. I actually think um, I would be really interested in acquiring him after this game against the Raiders. And I say after this game, because the Packers are going to buy next week. So I would like the fantasy manager who has Aaron Jones I'm trying to acquire to have to sit on that buy and then go out and get him. But he'd be probably one of my top targets because I think he's going to be a bit depreciated in price given the injury uh, and injury history throughout Jones's career. But I chalked it up to the Packers just being very safe and understanding that um, dating back to the Thursday game against the Lions, the Packers were going to play one football game in 23 days. And we, we are that one football game is going to occur next, you know, this Monday against the Raiders. So I think the Packers are just being ultra safe, and that was the same case with Christian Watson as well, too. Um, I think for the offense to be as effective as some anticipated they would be, Aaron Jones is going to have to be a critical factor. And yes, he's not fit, facing the, the Bears uh, every single week is where he went off, but I think you can get him at a, a, a bit of a discount. And I fully feel confident that he'll be utilized enough where he is a running back two, uh, low-end running back one. It would depend on the assets you're giving up, but I, I do feel comfortable. I would feel more comfortable acquiring Aaron Jones than Jameer Gibbs. Joe, I, I, I'm i not understanding how for the uh, almost second year in the row, I guess two, second year in three years, how the Rams have produced a relatively unknown, just awesome wide receiver. I know Pukin, uh, Pukin Nakua was still – uh, I mean, known from his time at BYU a little bit and that sort of thing, but still, relatively speaking, they go from Cooper Cup, who immediately kind of ascends to top five wide receiver in the NFL, and now Nakua is at least producing like that through four weeks. Do you see some sort of plateau being hit and some sort of return to earth, or is Nakua going to be able to be towards the leaders and receivers all year long? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if we have the answer yet, but I think we're going to get it this week because I anticipate Cooper Cup is going to be healthy. And of course, they face the Eagles, so the matchup's already going to be kind of tricky anyhow. But I, I pretty confidently feel like Nakua is going to have enough value where you're rolling with him for the rest of the season. And I, I left him out when I was talking about the top waiver wire pickups because certainly through four weeks, he has been outstanding. And I really feel confidently throughout the rest of the season that he is an easy wide receiver too a flex play as well too um and i don't believe that cooper cup is going to cut into his numbers whatsoever i, I think it's very possible for stafford and the rams to thir- throw 35 30 plus times a game at minimum and let's just say 15 targets for cooper cup 10 for nakua uh and then the mix up between atwell or higby or any of the running backs get the extra 10 and 5 okay that that feels very reasonable the chemistry that uh stafford has with nakua is very real in the way that sean mcveigh schemes things uh, for Nakua has been really awesome to see too. You go back to uh, week two against the Seahawks, or yeah, I think it was no, it was week one against the Seahawks. Just terrorizing Bobby Wagner, McVeigh, understanding what that advantage was, and then to see him uh, find stretch the boundaries a little bit for the 49ers as well too. Like there's there's been so many instances where I found that they used Nakua so creatively, 
uh, and I give a lot of credit to McVeigh, but Nakua was a known commodity, like you mentioned, from BYU, and probably fell a little bit under the radar uh, due to really bad uh, athletic testing, and I think that stuff gets... You know, it's so it's so great to be enamored with the Kyle Pitts and Anthony Richardsons, and rightfully so. But if you're able to produce um, at the level that Nakua was in college, I think some of that stuff you can you can kind of say, yeah, that that can translate in the NFL when a, when a good coach is utilizing me to that level, like we're seeing with Sean McVay and the Rams this season. Looking at the Colts, Jonathan Taylor's coming back uh, after four games off of the PUP list. Uh, so where do you see Jonathan Taylor? Do you think he'll have an immediate impact in the Colts' offense, or do you think it'll take him a while to really get going? Yeah, we had this que- uh, question last month, and I was saying, I don't know if Jonathan Taylor ever plays against the Colts. I wouldn't be drafting him whatsoever. I'm not trading for him. Uh, I- I'm not, I'm not, I didn't have many shares of Jonathan Taylor to begin with. But I actually feel much more optimistic about the situation uh, than I did four weeks ago. And that's in large part because the Colts look like they're a good team. And that Anthony Richardson has been everything that was advertised uh, after he had those incredible athletic uh, measurements at the combine. Like he, He's been great. Head coach Shane Steichen has been able to use Anthony Richardson creatively. And more importantly, the AFC South looks very winnable. I mean, the Texans are very competitive. The Jaguars are, are underachieving. The Titans I have no idea what they are. And the Colts are in the mix. And I think it's, it would be such an easy sell for Jim Irsay uh, to say, you know what, I, I, I took the loss in my battle with Jonathan Taylor, but I did it for, for the good of you, the people, the fans out there. Uh, and that's why I need Jonathan Taylor to make sure that we can win this division uh, and make our rookie quarterback look like a, a great investment. Because there's so much incentive, I think, for uh, the owner Jim Irsay to kind of bite the bullet a little bit. And I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be motivated for that next contract, which will not be with the Colts, I would imagine, uh, but he's going to be motivated. So I, I'm actually um, much more in on Jonathan Taylor. That comes at the expense of Zach Moss, uh, who's been a, a fantasy revelation for the first three or four weeks of the season. And I wouldn't be surprised if this week and maybe next week he still has some utility as they work Jonathan Taylor back into the game plan. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm much more interested in Jonathan Taylor than I was at the beginning of the season. So uh, let's now switch over to the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, with their offense, a, a, a team very popular in the fantasy realm with Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and a lot of the other weapons, but it really feels like that offense has just really not gotten itself fully on track to what people expected. Uh, if you're a fantasy owner of these guys, are you concerned at all, or do you think that, uh, that Mahomes and, and the rest of his guys – finally figure it out and start putting up the big-time numbers. Yeah, and you could say this to a lesser extent for the Eagles, too, although I think the situation situations are actually pretty similar in the sense that if you if you drafted the Chiefs offense or the Eagles offense, the highest-priced player in most situations was going to be the quarterback. So Patrick Mahomes was like a top-16 pick. Uh, Jalen Hurts was top-20, 20, top-24. 20, I understand Kelsey was you know four or five overall. And that didn't change too much with his injury, and A.J. Brown was a late first-round pick. But, I mean, the quarterbacks were the linchpins of these fantasy offenses. And I think Mahomes and Hurts are still right up there in terms of overall top fantasy points. And I think the game against the Jets limited Mahomes a little bit in terms of top overall standings. But he's been more than fine. It's it's the other pieces. So Devonta Smith for the Eagles, you know, was a top 24 pick. He was mid to late second round. But the Chiefs didn't really have anybody like that. It's Kadarius Tony, MVS. I liked uh, Rasheed Rice. I still like him, I guess. Um, Sky Moore, like none of the Chiefs' assets other than Travis Kelsey were anywhere near the realm of uh, high enough draft capital for you to be upset with what's happening. So as long as Mahomes is producing, I actually feel like it's a totally fine fantasy situation. 
even if they aren't lighting up the fantasy scoreboards to the extent that they were when they had Tyreek Hill and everyone else, uh, you know, a couple of years ago for that offense. I do think they'll get right. I mean, the Chiefs' schedule is pretty difficult, but they play their division mates uh, really well. They still have two games yet against the Broncos' defense, which looks like you and I could, you know, produce <laughs> fantasy points against them right now. Yeah. Uh, the Chargers also are miserable all the time in Mahomes' career. So, like, there's lots of matchups, I think, uh, in the near future for the Chiefs' offense to get right, even if they don't have the horses that have been able to be so successful in past seasons. And so, just continuing with the with their uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs, what do you think of the running backs? I know Isaiah Pacheco had a really good game against the Jets, but you know they kind of rotate the running backs. Do you think that Pacheco's kind of solidified himself truly as the running back one, or do you think they'll still rotate them a lot? No, I, I don't think he can be. Not when you have Andy Reid as your coach. And I agree with you that if there's one guy I like the most, it's Pacheco, and I would be willing to treat him and trade for him as if he's a running back one because I actually am that confident in the Chiefs' offense to give me enough times in the red zone that Pacheco is going to be able to take advantage. I'm not even ignoring, or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not even considering the 100-plus yard running games, whatever else. He only has two rushing touchdowns. Like That's how confident I feel um, that Pacheco, Pacheco and the Chiefs' offense will get right. But to your point, I mean, 10 catches through four weeks, uh, he had 13 all of last season. It really does feel like Pacheco has pushed away Jarek McKinnon a little bit who was the fantasy darling uh, for a two-month stretch towards the end of last season. McKinnon had just three total touches uh, in that win over the Jets, and we've seen Clyde Edwards-Hilaire get just as many snaps, uh, if not more, than Jarek McKinnon over the past two weeks. So I, I think there's seriously room um, for Pacheco to, to carve even more playing time out, but not to the extent where he is true three-down back doing everything. You know, he played 42 snaps. In that week four win of the Jets, I would be willing to bet that's probably going to be close to a season high uh, for him. But I'm still very interested in him, nevertheless. He's Joe Barnell of RotoWire joining us today on Sports Call. Joe, we'll end with this. Uh, a question about the Saints, because they've been pretty disappointing offensively since acquiring Derek Carr. They, of course, have got a couple of very talented wide receivers, maybe even three if you throw Shahid in there. But uh, with with Michael Thomas and Chris Olave combining for no touchdowns so far in four games, uh, wh- where is their current value? And uh, just, just do you see that going? I, I guess it's going to be better than zero at some point, but do you see them ever realizing that potential this year? Yeah, I actually wasn't that upset with uh, the Saints' offense, really, overall. You know, the Titans game, car threw for over 300 yards, uh, had that one single touchdown, and then go back to the Panthers game, too. Panthers' defense still had J.C. Horn at the time. They weren't too bad, but 228 yards. It was a Monday night game, kind of rough. And, and Carr was going to be lighting up the Packers before Rashawn Gary fell on him uh, and, and kind of ruined that first half, uh, well, I guess second half of the Saints. He's still dealing with an injury as well. Uh, and the Patriots' defense, they are – they are missing a lot of people. Uh, Matthew Judon, star pass rusher, and then Christian Gonzalez, a stud cornerback uh, for them, both going to be out for, if not the season, for a lot of different, uh, a lot of weeks. So I, I think the Patriots defense, especially if he's limited their car, uh, is going to be a problem. But looking forward, week seven against Jacksonville, week eight against the Colts, week nine against the Bears, week 10 against the, the Vikings, those are all bottom third in terms of line points to fantasy quarterbacks. So I feel very comfortable um, picking up Derek Carr if he's able to prove that he is shaken past whatever this uh, shoulder injury is. And as a result, I love Chris Olave. I think Chris Olave is one of the top ten wide receivers in the NFL right now. Uh, and I think Michael Thomas and Rashid Shahid, that is truly one of the best trios in the entire NFL. And I have, I have no reservations uh, that they will not produce yardage 
the touchdown thing is different because Taysom Hill and you got Alvin Kamara back now and Jamal Williams is vulturing. Like they have so many different ways they can score in the red zone. They don't have to throw. But those three, Michael Thomas, Chris Lavin, Rashid Shahid, will be able to move the ball passing game-wise so long as Derek Carr's healthy. He's Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire joining us today on Sports Call. Joe, as always, the time's greatly appreciated. Tell our listeners what you got going on with Roto-Wire and the, the various uh, written content and audio content you're working on right now. Yeah, you're right. We have plenty of stuff. So we had the Tuesday Roto-Wire podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcast, just search uh, Roto-Wire Fantasy Football. We do our wave wear pickups. So that was uh, Jaleel McLaughlin, the Broncos running back. Now, Javante Williams banged up. What does that mean? Uh, we were pretty high on Quentin Johnston, Chargers receiver, as well as Josh Palmer. Uh, well, they're on by this week. You know, I think they're still kind of in the realm. So we talked about that uh, on the podcast. And then I also posted my big betting sheet. Uh, I go over every over-under, uh, every spread total, pick every game against the spread. Uh, and you can find that on my Twitter, JB Fantasy Sports. And then every, uh, every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, Sirius XM Radio, Channel 87. You know, we go through every game, talk about every fantasy application, all the injury reports that come out at that point, too. Less games, obviously, because bye week's now officially starting, but plenty of action, uh, plenty of fantasy content, a lot of different ways you can find me. He's Joe Barnell of RotoWire joining us today on Sports Call. Joe, again, we appreciate the time each and every week, and we look forward to talking again next week. All right, thank you so much. That is Joe Bartle of RotoWire today on Sports Call. We're going to take another timeout. Back with more right after this. Call into the show. Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger Donovan, the Tiger Communications app, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, half of Cam Berry with you here on <laughs> this Wednesday evening. T.P. Hammett continues to run I the survived. board uh, as chair malfunctioning just as we come back on air. Good stuff. Appreciate Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire for joining us there. Uh, just seven or eight, nine minutes left in this Wednesday edition of the show. A little bit different this week just because I know that we're usually already in preview mode of the next game. And, well, I'm not going to start previewing LSU 10 days before the game because, fortunately, there's not a game with the Tigers on Saturday. There is an LSU-Missouri game that's actually intriguing. I know that was not on the bingo card to start the year. Uh, but uh, if you had Missouri ranked ahead of LSU when those two teams met, uh, then come on down. That game will be broadcast on our family of radio stations on FM Talk 93.9 on Saturday, so you will want to tune into that and get a read on Auburn's next opponent, the LSU Tigers. little NFL for you here. 
uh, as we start to conclude this Wednesday edition of the show. Uh, I was looking at uh, at Cam a little bit when he was asking some about uh, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts, and I uh, realized that all four teams there, and I, I could have put two and two together, uh, literally and figuratively, but all teams are two and two in the AFC South right now, which is fun. All teams kind of having a mid-off, but but some of those teams didn't expect to be that good even. Like, no, I didn't think real. Houston and Indy would be ready for that, but Stroud and Richardson have been really good. Bryce Young has struggled so far with Carolina. I think there's other things that go into that too. Man but man doesn't have any receivers or an offensive line. But what a redemption arc if Jonathan Taylor ends up coming back healthy and Indy. I mean, I, you I would still think Houston wouldn't win the division, and I still wouldn't lean towards Indy either. But I suppose if we're four out of 17 into this and no one looks great and Tannehill one game looks like he needs to retire and the next yeah. he looks okay again, I don't, understand. don't trust them. Nope. Jacksonville is still not clicking an offense the, the way I thought they would. I that that division's hard to predict. I it in the scheme of things, it won't really matter. That team might go anywhere in the postseason, whoever that is. But I don't. I mean, you got four teams tied at two and two. Yeah, you really thought that the this was just the Jags, or excuse me, division to lose. Honestly, it just it seemed like after their run last year that they had so much more opportunity to just build upon what they had i mean they got to the playoffs and really uh I, i'm if i remember correctly took the chiefs kind of down to the wire or came back against the chiefs and it ended up being a pretty good game so um you know you think that they would build on that and they kind of were going to be able to just run their division and they they really haven't um tennessee just see i don't know it just seems like it's derrick henry and if if they don't even have the offensive line to really run behind if he doesn't have an offensive line to run behind then they don't really have anything um and then you got india uh, indianapolis who in anthony richardson if he can really learn and i liked that trevor um you know uh trevor lawrence after that first game you know pulled him aside and was like hey man it's a long season protect yourself because you're gonna need it and then of course anthony richardson goes into concussion protocol the very next week um but at least you know maybe hopefully he's kind of learned from that and say hey you know i mean this this is different from college it just is i mean this is the one percent of of that one percent so um, the best of the best in the world uh, in this sport, and they're—I mean, they're these are grown men flying at you, not not just you know. The, I mean, college guys are really good, and I know he's playing in the SEC, but it's still different. It's still different. Um, and then yeah, you know the the Texans. It seems—I mean, Stroud is legit. I, I mean, he really is. The man is slinging it all over the place. He has not thrown an interception yet uh, in in uh, four games, and uh, he, he's come he's coming to Atlanta to play my he Falcons. Will yeah, I hope so. Gosh. It'll be Jesse Bates too. Oh yeah, Jesse Bates. I mean, he's really on it. I I loved that acquisition by the Falcons. I I always said I wanted him, and I'm so glad that we went after him. But yeah, Stroud is is looking like the truth. Uh, you know, I think they have a couple more pieces that they need to get. He's been sacked a lot, uh, so the offensive line is is really what what's struggling. But he's still able to stand in that pocket and deliver uh, a lot of throws. Throw he's through thrown for 300 yards a couple times already, and. Uh, he's he's looking really good, so I like what I'm seeing from the rookies. I I hate that Bryce Young is getting beat up so much, but that's always been kind of how Carolina has unfortunately operated. And now they're looking for a, a top receiver to help out uh, to help Bryce out. But 
you know, Andy Dalton was, or yeah, Andy Dalton, you know, in the one game that he was out, was able to make Adam Thielen look like, I mean, pretty, pretty decent. Dalton so, played better than Young. He in did the, in the small sample size yeah. we have. So and, maybe it's just taking time and just being right. a rookie, but. You know, I I don't know if it's a hundred percent the receivers. Uh, that's that's a hundred percent the issue. The offensive line's an issue. Yeah, offensive line's a huge yeah, issue. The it's offensive line definitely is an yeah. issue. But the receivers, I I think could, I, I think are kind of relatively fine in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, no care. Young's been disappointing again. I don't judge anyone off of three games. No, he, right. You know, he didn't play one of them. But yeah, no. I mean, if if the Panthers were in win now mode, which obviously they aren't, they're not going anywhere. Then I think you would have a conversation about starting Dalton. Yeah, but it's the number one pick in the draft. You're going to use a lot of resources to make sure he develops, uh, and you're going to play him all season long, come hell or high water. And then you'll give him a second year, and hopefully he's going to be developing. Yeah. Uh, by that point, I wanted to go back real quickly before we end the show. Get the nightly TV guide. I wanted to mention the Titans for just a second because. If you recall, I was one of the holdouts on the Jags. I kind of wanted one last Titans run, <laughs> uh, and they are probably the drunkest team that no it one's talking about. No I just wanted to relay to everyone their four games so far this year. This is great. Gosh. So they lose the Saints opening weekend in the Superdome, sixteen fifteen, right. but they kicked five field goals. Like they they did not score a touchdown. They they scored five field goals. They then go to to Nashville for the first time and beat an ailing Chargers team, but in overtime. Uh, 27-24, pretty epic game there where uh, the Chargers end up tying them uh, at, at the uh, with the with the last second kick after the Titans had took the lead with just two minutes to go. So back and forth, fourth right. quarter. Then how can you have two polar opposite blowouts? Well, you lose the Browns 27-3. Right. And then with the other state of Ohio team, you win 27-3. It makes no sense, man. So I am unsure. Right. No, right, completely, right completely unsure. Don't uh, know what's going on in Tennessee. They are they are one of the poster style teams of I hate that we're playing 17 just for the reason of I can't be symmetrical because that's an eight and eight team. I tell you what, right there. That is such an eight and eight team. And look, if they fall on the right side of it, if they end up at nine and eight, they'll end up um they could end up making the playoffs. We'll see how that, that whole division goes. But Tennessee's had a fascinating four games with the complete opposite nature of how their games have gone so far. All right, minute or two left in the show. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Tonight, we'll start with movies. 6 o'clock, Avengers Age of Ultron. That one is on FX. 6 o'clock, TNT, a frequent visitor for the TV Guide recently, is The Dark Knight Rises. That one's on TNT. 7 o'clock on Turner Classic Movie is Ben-Hur. And then I want to give you one movie pick outside of the TV Guide. Last night saw A Haunting in Venice. I know it's about to leave the theater. It's been out a few weeks already, but uh, that was a good one. Uh, in the uh, Hercule Perot, the Agatha Christie novels. So uh, that was a, a good one. Enjoyed that one. And then the football picks for I say football picks. The sports picks for you tonight, 7 o'clock on ESPNU. It's Jacksonville State at Middleton CJSU. Go Cox! Uh, JSU 4-1 <laughs> in their maiden voyage uh, into the FBS, and then some baseball for you: Miami Marlins, Philadelphia Phillies, seven o'clock on ESPN. Open. I'm just going to 
go ahead and say Hoping the Marlins get Hoping one. the Marlins win that one and at least force a game three. Uh, and that is Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. That will about do it for the show this afternoon. I know, Tom, you're going to have a nice uh, steak night tonight, so I yes. hope you enjoyed that. And uh, thank you for being here throughout the week. We'll see steak, you and, steak and taters. Steak and taters. Nice. We'll, uh, we'll see you again next week. I'll be here. And, Cam Berry, thank you for being here. I know you worked long hours today with the other job, too. Appreciate you being here, and we'll see you again on Friday. Glad to be here. Two o'clock naps, they're great. Two o'clock naps for the win. That will do it for the show this afternoon. Of course, we also want to thank T.P. Hammock for running the board and taking phone calls today. We want to thank Joe Bartle of RotoWire for joining us on the program as well. For T.P. Hammock, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Don't forget the High School Coaches Show is coming up next, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.